Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, the sports animals in the morning on ESPN Honolulu. Happy Monday. It's Sports Animals time again here on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, here's some things you need to know going on into work. We'll update you with the uh, traffic. Uh, another report coming up in just a bit here. But first of all, of course, you will probably know by now, the Miami Heat beat Denver to tie the NBA Finals Series one all. Finally got a close game. Not a buzzer beater, but it came down to the last seconds of that fourth quarter. And Miami down by double digits in that second half. What a comeback by them. And the first two games, their fourth quarter runs have really uh, done a de- done damage to Denver. I think that's a concern as they head later on to the series. I know Mike Malone, Denver's coach, is concerned about that. All right. UH men's basketball lands another player on the team. 6'5 combo guard from New Zealand. Yeah, it looks like he's got some pretty good numbers as well. Uh, Tom Beatty, 27 points coming in as a true freshman, going to compete at both point and the shooting guard position. Sounds like a great addition to this team, so I'm really excited about that. Got a little size as well, and his number is really, really exciting, so hopefully it'll work out pretty well for them. All right, uh, Kyrie Irving, this just in. Kyrie Irving reaches out to LeBron James to join the Mavericks. Yeah, that's so nice of Kyrie to do that, and I'm sure Dallas and Mark Cuban would love to have LeBron James. One of the concerns or problems is, even if LeBron said, hey, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, uh, what is Dallas going to trade for LeBron James? And that's you know, like people like Trevor Lane from the Lakers Nation has been tweeting about. They don't really have enough to offer in return in a trade. And also, LeBron has two more years left on his contract, a second year of player option. Yeah, all right. And, uh, well, today is uh, June 5th. 2023 and the Craig Angeles era begins today for UH Athletics. Yeah, I understand they've got the Mountain West Board of Director meetings here in Honolulu today and tomorrow. A lot of football discussions there, so uh, he gets off to a nice start with that and I hope people aren't expecting a lot of big news in the first week or two, but uh, hopefully it'll be some exciting things ahead as we start a new era in Hawaii Athletics and uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, curiosity about Craig Angelus and what he will do first and what he will take care of, maybe with a new stadium and all that. But uh, new era definitely starts. It is a kind of a historic day for UH Sports. Yeah, I don't think that anyone should be looking at what's he, what is he going to do first. What, what does that actually mean? <laughs> what does what are you going to do first actually mean? Well, I think a lot. Of, I, I I agree. I think a lot of people are putting out on social media and talking about, you know, hope he does this first, or you got to take care of the tailgating for football games, or get us new stadium, you know, finalized right now, and things like that. So I, I don't think. Well, the athletic directors, the, the athletic director is not going to get a new stadium finalized. I know. Um, let your friends know on social media. It doesn't kind of work that way. But uh, I'm just hoping for a, a, you know smooth sailing. I mean, if he can do. What David Matlin did the past eight years, I'd say we got a pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good athletic director up at University of Hawaii. 
I, I do. I agree. I think you can do what David Matlin did for that long of a period of time. And a bittersweet day on Friday was David Matlin says aloha, at least for his job there. Maybe you can um, be listening to the show now that he has a lot of free time. But uh, a good day for David Matlin. The last couple of weeks was a lot, it was fun talking with him on this show and just reminiscing about some of the things and his legacy at UH. And uh, it'll he'll definitely be remembered fondly, I think, by many. Okay. Uh, Jamie Eisenberg is going to join us on the NFL uh, in about 30 minutes here on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, still got a few free agents out there, uh, named free agents looking for a team, surprisingly. Well, I think the, the biggest one, I think, is DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I saw it today that Jacksonville, for whatever reason, probably will not sign him. I'm not sure if he had interest there, but we've heard a number of teams interested, and maybe he's not worth the $30 million he was making in Arizona, but I, I, I was surprised he's not signed already. Uh, maybe teams aren't having that sense of urgency, waiting for the price tag to drop a little bit too for DeAndre Hopkins. But to me, that's the biggest name out there. And there's a lot. There's um, right now in the NFL, there are so many good receivers that are on rosters. It's not like oh boy, there's a bunch of teams that don't have. You know, I mean, anyone could use the guy. It's just I'm guessing it's just injury. If you look at the some of the top players who are still um, um, available. It's a list of injury-prone guys. Um, I don't know why Yannick Ngakwe is uh, uh, actually why he's still out. But, you know, guys like uh, Genevieve Clowney. Uh, you've got uh, Marcus Peters, who hasn't been healthy since 2018. Got, uh, got some good players, just a lot of injury history out there. And, again, Hop hasn't been that healthy the last couple of years. Yeah, well, he's also been suspended a little bit as well. And, I, th- I know again, I know there's some baggage there. Still, I, oh. I, I would think that almost any team could find use for him. I mean, he's still that talented. He's, he's not a bad receiver. He's one of the top receivers, maybe not the top five or ten, but close to it. And, uh, again, I think just the price tag is part of it. But uh, and I, I would imagine almost definitely he'll be signed before training camp opens. He's not going to be one of those guys that's going to wait for an injury in September uh, and replace somebody. I would think somebody just waiting for the right opportunity as far as the contract terms before they sign him. Yeah. He's, uh, I think, he. what does he do, 90, almost $20 million? So if you wonder why DeAndre Hopkins is not on a team, there you go. I mean, that's, that's, that's clearly the reason right now, especially, uh, you know, heading into OTAs. I mean, who's got an extra $20 million under the cap? They're, I just that they're willing to spend for an injured receiver. I don't think the suspension has anything to do with it. No, I'm just as you said, as far as him missing games for the last couple of years, part of it was not injury; it was also oh. part of just the suspension. Uh, the team with the most cap space is Arizona, uh, with twenty six and a half million, basically. But uh, and like you look <laughs> they've at got Tam- even more. Yeah, yeah, right. And like, as of that, as of June first, Tampa Bay has the least amount of money. By the way, four hundred and one thousand. <laughs> Not quite. Say that again. Tampa Bay has the least money to spend under oh, the salary yeah. cap as of June first, four hundred and one thousand dollars. That's uh, yeah. Not going to get you much. No, no, not at all. How long was uh, was he suspended for, and what was he suspended for? PED use, and I believe it was six games. Oh wow. Okay. Might have been his second offense. I'm not sure, but I think we pretty sure it was uh, six games. I believe last year. You know who's? You know who actually is still out. Who has who hasn't landed on a team? The, he's washed up at 28 years old. It is Ezekiel Elliott? 
Yeah, that's surprising. I mean, I, we knew he wasn't the same Ezekiel Elliott that he was. He's still, to me, more than serviceable. And 28 is not old, but more than three, four years at the running back for Dallas. You know, it's kind of past the, the average uh, that most running backs. Yeah, but the last couple of years, he the last couple of years they shared the load. He wasn't yeah. getting the, you know, especially last year. He was he was the, he was the second guy. That, that's that is kind of amazing that he is not signed. And maybe he's taking a you know a, a wait and see approach and th- thinking what's the best opportunity. But there has to have been offers. Again, he's not washed up. And I, again, I know he again, but like you said, he shared the load, so his numbers might not be as impressive. But still, a good running back. I think two years ago he had a thousand yards or right around a thousand yards two years ago. So it wasn't that long ago. Again, I would think a team would love that. If you're a struggling team and maybe on the cusp of the play, I mean, Miami could use another running – if they could afford him, another good running back. And, again, maybe he's not the best, but still, that's surprising that he has not signed. Yeah. Anyway. All right, ten minutes after here with the Animals on ESPN Honolulu. It's World Environment Day, so we're all encouraged to take action and uh, protect our natural environment today. So – whether you're picking up trash on the side of the road or recycling plastics or metals, and, you know, uh, we can all do our part to save Mother Earth. There you go, World Environment Day. All right, NBA Finals. Uh, uh, you know, they say, you know, um, the old cliche says that, you know, the, the, the series doesn't really start until a visiting team wins, and that's what happened yesterday. What a game it was. Yeah, there was a game of some real big runs. Yeah, I mean Miami starts out ten to two, and then um, then they come. uh, Denver comes back. I mean, it was just it was crazy. There was some. It was just a bunch of haymakers thrown on each side, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know that uh, again with about ten minutes left, it looked like it was out of hand uh, in that game. About nine or ten minutes left uh, for the Miami Heat, and then all of a sudden you're at the end of the game you're going oh no if they if um if jamal murray makes this shot it's going into overtime now the big controversy was should the um should the denver nuggets take a timeout on that last possession and there's arguments on both sides of that yeah i I don't think they should have taken a timeout a lot of teams will take what denver did uh, they know what they want to do in those kind of situations, and you don't want to give the defense a chance to set up. You know, you kind of got them backing up. You knew what you wanted to do. Uh, you needed the three, of course, and you got a good look. It wasn't a bad look. It was a typical Jamal Murray, you know, uh, step back three, and it barely missed. Uh, he didn't have his great game, but I, I don't think they should have called timeout, and I know it's gone back and forth with that, as well as should have Miami have fouled Denver. I mean, it should Denver have fouled Miami before Butler missed that three, uh, earlier, right, uh, 20 seconds previously, 10, 20 seconds previously, and I don't think they should have either. You only, it's only a one-possession game. So I think both coaches handled those situations properly. Again, if, in hindsight, you could say, well, you know, maybe they should have done this if something worked, if worked out differently in that game. But, again, most teams these days will not call a timeout in that situation, especially when you got a Jamal Murray and you don't want to give Miami a pretty good defensive team a chance to maybe make a substitution or set up defensively. So I think it was the right move on both teams there. And, again, it was that close. And what a run it was. Miami was up by about 11 with about three or four minutes left. And as you said, next thing you know, yeah. Denver is right back in it. How did that happen so quickly? A couple of threes in a row. Was that what it was? I'm trying to remember what happened. But yeah. it was – 
Yeah, it was a couple of quick strikes. And Miami, think, speaking of threes, they hit 17 threes yesterday after only making nine in game one, the most they've ever made in an NBA Finals game, 17. So they really bounced back. They played a much better game. And it looked like it was going to be similar, you know, at halftime, third quarter, when they're down by double figures. Denver is something like 37-1 and one when leading going into the fourth quarter by eight or more points. And they were up by eight yesterday going into the fourth. And something about those beginnings, beginning of the fourth quarter in these two games, uh, Miami went with an 11-0 run on Thursday in game one. And yesterday started the fourth quarter in that 17-5 to run over the first three and a half minutes. And that's when they took the lead. And they did look back, but they never gave up that lead. Really something 808-296-1420, our number to call in. Uh, your reaction on the game yesterday. It's all tied up at one Wednesday. We'll have the action for you here on ESPN Honolulu. Game three in the NBA Finals. The uh, I loved how the uh, Miami Heat started out. They started out, and um, immediately Denver was just on their on their they were on their heels. I mean, they were reeling from the very beginning. It's like they weren't even ready for the game. Uh, coach, what's the coach's name for um, uh, Denver again? Mike Malone. Yeah. In a timeout, they, he's mic'd up. He's like, "Hey, wake up, wake up!" Even the, one of the players, uh, Bruce, is it Bruce Brown? Yeah. Um, he was he was mic'd up, and you could hear him on the sidelines telling the team, "Wake up, wake up!" It was uh, it was uh, they were they, it's like they they kind of kind of sleepwalked into the beginning of that game, and you know the coach was so upset afterwards for the lack of defense, especially in the fourth quarter by the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, he didn't like their effort at all. They weren't playing hard. Maybe they get a little complacent with these leads, but they never give them up usually. He wasn't happy after game one because of the fourth quarter as well when Miami started off with that 11-0 run. And, I mean, they had to know Miami was going to come out with a different mindset. You knew they were going to be more aggressive. You knew they would have mm. a sense of urgency. And you knew they were going to take it to the paint and try to go to the free throw line because only two shots on Thursday in game one, 20 yesterday. And they hit 18 of those 20. So, I mean, that was kind of their game plan. Everybody knew it, and Denver had a hard time stopping it. Both teams shot extremely well. Denver actually outshot Miami 52%. That's incredible for a team to do that in a finals game, and Miami at 49%. Uh, right. And both teams really shot the ball well. Miami needed it after game one. Yeah, Miami, was incre- I've never seen this before. I'm sure it's happened. I've never seen it, though. But, yeah, so Miami is at um, – Field goal percentage, 48.7. Three-point percentage, 48.6. It's literally the same. Yeah, I mean, when you shoot anything over 35, 40%, you're having a good game as a player and as a team. And, again, they were Mm -hmm. 9 for 42. So to come from that performance, I don't know, maybe they were getting acclimated to the altitude. I think the fatigue factor wore off. That was the case from the Boston game seven. But, again, they were a better three-point shooting team. And I heard Eric Spolster before the game yesterday saying that he wasn't concerned about the missed threes in game one because he knows they're better Mm -hmm. than that. And they would fall in game two. And, of course, they did. And that's the right approach. You're not going to tell guys, hey, be careful. You know, don't think twice. You have the green light. You've done it before. So you just knew those shots were going to fall for many of them. And they did. And not maybe especially, but in the fourth quarter especially, Duncan Robinson, all ten points of his were in that fourth quarter. And he just looked like a monster out there, really aggressive. Uh, even the, the one of those layups he made, just really nice move cutting to the basket. I loved watching him in that fourth quarter yesterday. That was great. You know, the Miami Heat have that pick and roll just down to a science. I mean, you can't 
I mean, you, you can't stop it. I mean, it was it was running rapid yesterday, wasn't it? That and Denver as well. I mean, when you have Jokic doing what he is, you can't stop him. And both teams are smart. They're very both very well coached. And, you know, they, 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 they can pick their spots when they know exactly what they can get away with, so to speak, as far as what advantages they might have. And if you execute a pick and roll properly, it's going to work pretty much every time. Uh, right. So both teams did a great job. So, again, it was really well-played basketball, as you said earlier, for both teams. Well, well, Denver wasn't do, wasn't trying to pick and roll. Denver was get the ball in the paint to Jokic, and he's just going to back in. I mean, you had out of, Bam out of bio is, like, trying to stop him. I mean, towards the end of the game, it's like Gabe Vincent was trying to stop um, was trying to stop um, Jokic, and it was it was almost funny. I mean, he was just this, this this little guy. He was trying his best, but Jokic kind of ran him over and just you know boop, pops the ball up. I mean, they kept doing that. That's why their field goal percentage was so high. Was that he scored forty one points, and so many of them just the same way, just from about two feet away. He he is an incredible player. What was really uh, noteworthy as well is he only only had four assists. Most centers right. would love to have four assists in a game. Uh, for him though, that's about five or so below his average or his playoff average at least. Still, he had a fantastic game, and you're definitely not going to blame him for the loss. He made a couple of the baskets down the stretch as well that got him within three besides the three pointers that Denver made. So you yeah. still got to have an answer. If you can't have him scoring 41 every game, because if Jamal Murray does what he's capable of, and Michael Porter does what he normally does and he was only two of eight yesterday Miami is in a little trouble still there was so many people saying that Kendrick Perkins I believe was one that said uh, Denver in a sweep after game one well, I mean yeah. they did look really good Miami made a game of it sort of late but I wouldn't right. give them the series in a sweep that soon in this oh, final I, series no yeah I mean I think I, I saw I heard them talking about this and only four teams like this century have been swept in an NBA Finals. It doesn't happen that often. Uh, one of the topics on one of the midday radio shows, I don't remember if it was a Friday or Saturday, or yeah, it wasn't yesterday, Friday or Saturday, when they were saying, you know, the, the kind of poll was, is Denver going to sweep or is Miami going to win one game? You know, and it's because that's, that's how you felt with the after game one. But boy, you know, if it, you know, they they certainly got used to the altitude. They got used to it pretty quick. It looked like Denver was the visiting team, especially in the beginning of that game. Yeah. I like how they used uh, Kevin Love, and we can get into that more coming up on ESPN Honolulu, ninety-two point seven FM and fourteen twenty AM. Good morning. Hope you're enjoying World Environment Day so far. We're the Sports Animals. This is ESPN Honolulu. And uh, coming up, we're going to get into the NFL in about 10 minutes with uh, Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports. We're talking about the uh, NBA Finals game number two. And, boy, we've got a, uh, well, we've got a series now. Um, and it always starts when the visiting team wins one. Were you surprised at seeing Kevin Love start the game? No, not at all. Caleb Martin wasn't listed as 100%. So I think it was almost like a no-brainer because he was still obviously not 
filling 100% with his minutes. You can see with the minutes for uh, Caleb Mar uh, Martin only playing 21 and a half. So I figured Kevin Love was going to be the logical choice. He started a lot of games towards the end of the season after he got a move there via the buyout. The, um, the announcers were saying, uh, the announcers were commenting how they started Kevin Love, uh, that uh, Coach Spo started Kevin Love uh, because it would give uh, Jimmy Butler a chance to guard Jamal Murray. They were thinking that was the um, they were thinking that was the strategy behind starting Kevin Love. Uh, I'm sure that was part of it. I mean, also you have Kevin Love, who's going to be a three-point shooter in the perimeter, so he can stretch out the defense by spacing out. So that you have that little bit of advantage, maybe giving a guy like Jimmy Butler and others, you know, room to operate if they want to drive to the basket, which they did to get foul maybe get fouled even more. But, yeah, Kevin Love is that type of player. He still can't shoot like he used to. He's two of nine. But he did have some really good assists. Well, actually, I think I credited for one. He had some good passes, it seemed like. He did have ten rebounds. That, to me, stood out more than anything else with Kevin Love. Well, yeah, he, he played his 22 minutes. He didn't finish the game. But at that point, I mean, you know, he hit a couple of uh, threes. Um, I don't remember the other three missed shots that he had. But, um, yeah, the ten rebounds. And he was, you know, he was there. I mean, he's. He actually probably would have had 11. It's one of those ones where uh, two people come up with it and then you just give it to the other guy. <laughs> he did one of those things. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know what? He's a valuable part of that team. They were talking about him in the locker room and, and how he's a leader of the team. And uh, it's just awesome to see. I mean, I wish, you know, if, if, if not rooting for all of these undrafted players on the Miami Heat, you got to root for a guy like Kevin Love. Well, yeah, I definitely. I mean, I've been a fan of his since college. When you hear about some of the mental issues he's been dealing with over the years, and being really upfront, which has helped other players in the NBA come forward and get help as well. Um, he's battling. He has battled depression and other uh, things along the lines with mental depression and mental illnesses coming up. And I'm glad for him to come out publicly. He's the kind of guy, though, passes prime. Even when he started for Miami in the regular season, he almost never finished at the game, and he probably averaged about 20 minutes. So he's more of a role player, but he's smart. Uh, he's had a good veteran around the other players, and he can help here and there. Just what he was known for coming into the league was a great three-point shooter, good rebounder, obviously, as well. And, uh, yeah, the shooting isn't quite there, but he can help in other ways. And, I think, I mean, I want Miami to win for a few reasons. One, it was nice to see him get another ring. He didn't get the one with Cleveland, of course. But, yeah, I've always liked Kevin Love. You know, the um, the the Denver Nuggets only play. I didn't realize this. They only played eight players in that game. Well, we talked about that on Friday where they only usually play seven as their rotation. Wow. Uh, they, they, for a team in the playoffs, you shorten the bench, yes. Sure. But they've had many. They've had a, quite a few games where they might have played eight, but the eighth hardly played. Yesterday they went with a little bit different. Uh, Christian Brown, the rookie out of uh, Kansas, came in. But usually it's, it's uh, Brown, Bruce Brown, and Jeff Green, and that's about it for them, the wow. two guys who came over from Brooklyn. Wow. They, yeah, that guy Brown, he got the rookie. He got um, – there was a couple of plays where he looked really good. But he got burned on defense a couple of times. A couple of those highlights of, like, um, uh, Bam out of bio dunking the ball and getting a foul. I mean, he, he, it's, yeah. he, 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 his, it, that was his uh, wake up, you're in the NBA type of deal. You know, I think he got the minutes that he did main, probably mainly because of Caldwell Pope, who got in foul trouble, uh, and he ended up fouling out of the game. But usually he doesn't play that much. But, yeah, it's really unusual. I mean, you're gonna, again, you have that shortened bench. 
but not seven players in the rotation. Usually have one or two more. But when you have Jokic yeah. and Jamal Murray, you're not going to sit them too much either. And Porter and Aaron Gordon have really stepped up. So there's not as many minutes for the bench, but that is a little surprising. You know, the uh, the uh, Miami has um, – they played five from their bench. Denver played three, but they both scored 26 points. So even though it was a shorter bench, it was offensively a uh, pretty good bench. How about KCP? Twice fouling three-point shots. That's 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 pretty rare for a defensive specialist like him. Yeah, that is. I didn't realize he did it twice. I remember once, but uh, the fact that he did it twice, yeah, it wasn't one of his better games. Foul trouble. His numbers weren't that impressive, and he still played a kind of a lot considering. Well, because he, he got foul kind of trouble take, later on in the game. But he was kind of taken out of his game at just see. But again, you're only taking four field goals. And again, with Jamal Murray and Jokic, not a lot of guys are going to shoot. But when, you know, uh, Aaron Gordon had great game one, I, and he only took seven shots. Michael Porter Jr. has been really good. Only eight shots. You would think the shots are going to go somewhere else. And Jamal Murray didn't shoot as much as he normally does. Fifteen shots isn't a lot for him. Jokic is probably about his average, I guess, because uh, he does get in the 30s quite often or 40s as well. Yeah, I just think that you can see some of the things that, um, and I'm not that up on it. I'm just kind of listening to what other people are saying. Is you can see that Eric Spolstra is probably the top or one of the top three coaches in the NBA. Yes, definitely. And one of the things he did yesterday, think about this, the fourth quarter, you can't go down 2-0 or the series is closer to being over. You're down by eight points and you start the fourth quarter with Duncan Robinson and Kyle Lowry, guy coming off the bench who up until that point didn't give you a whole lot. Duncan Robinson didn't score before the fourth quarter, as we said. So he just I don't know if he just has a feel for the game. He's obviously very, very smart. And uh, he does seem like he pulls all the right strings when he makes the substitution, goes with different defenses. Again, they they didn't look good in game one, but overall in these playoffs, winning on the road, everything this team has accomplished, most of the credit, I think, goes to Eric Spolster. And he, he just makes the right decisions way more often than not. Yeah, he, um, with um, the if you look at the, the way they won this game, you know, it was the, they were so good from, from uh, three-point land so to speak, is a team. I think if – but if your three-pointers aren't falling, no way Miami's going to be close. I mean, the, Miami has got to do this. They've got to keep it up as far as their three-point uh, three goal percentage. Well, you're not going to shoot 49% on threes right. too often for a game, but you're also not going to shoot 20 – I think it was 29 on game one when they were 9 of 42. They're going to mm-hmm. be somewhere in the middle, but it was great to see them not lose that confidence, knowing that they can uh, shoot again what Eric Spolster was telling the – uh, the media before the game yesterday, he wanted them to keep shooting because he knew those shots would fall, and they did. I mean, and the thing is, when you're out of a game like they seemingly were, because it almost looked close to game one where they were falling behind more and more in that third quarter, going into the fourth, trailing not by as much in game one, 21 Thursday, only eight yesterday. But that comeback, I don't see, think anybody saw it coming, except for yeah. maybe Miami. Because, they, yeah. again, you, you could have really, not quit, but you could have lost some confidence there in well, that fourth quarter. And they did this game, too, is they actually went to the rim. They didn't in game one. Again, we'll bring up the pick and roll again. So now, what does D- Denver do? And we can get back to this because we've got to get a traffic update here. But what does Denver do to stop that pick and roll, right? I mean, they got, I mean, how do you stop that? It looks like, I mean, executed flawlessly. But we'll get into that coming up here. Uh, Jamie Eisenberg on the NFL coming up with the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu. We'll be right back. 
going to talk some NFL right now. Never a dead period in the NFL. There's always a lot going on. And Chris and I were just talking about free agents a few minutes ago, which is a perfect segue as we welcome our next guest here via the Aloha Kia hotline. He's an NFL and fantasy football analyst for CBS Sports and CBS Fantasy. Joining us again on ESPN, Honolulu, Jamie Eisenberg. Jamie, great to talk to you again. I'll start with this. As we are in early June, what teams do you see out there that still might have quarterback needs as we head into training camp in a few months? Well, that's a great question. First off, thanks for having me. Uh, always good to talk to you guys. I, I think you know, the first place I would probably look is Tampa Bay. You know, uh, I mean, you know, you move on from Tom Brady and, you know, you settle on Baker Mayfield. And, you know, a few years ago, that would have sounded like, wow, it's a pretty good transition to get, you know, former number one overall pick. But we know what the last couple of years have been like for him. Now, I, I think it's a little bit frustrating on both sides, one, to see the way that he's looked so far in the little snippets of, of videos that we've seen. Uh, but obviously, you know, he's trying to learn a new playbook. He's working on some things. Uh, but you hope that he's not regressing from the car wash that he went through last year, you know, going to the Rams and, you know, getting some of the, uh, you know, the Sean McVay coaching and, and just, you know, the, the smell off of what happened in Carolina. But, you know, right now I think Tampa Bay is, is, is probably the obvious situation of if they could find a quarterback it would be a, a pretty good spot assuming also Jimmy Garoppolo is 100 percent not having to deal with any injuries. all right I was just looking at salary cap space before the show and I saw that Tampa has the least amount of space for any NFL team four hundred and one thousand dollars compared to like 26 million plus for Arizona so they're not going to have uh, a lot of opportunities really to sign somebody if they become available I would think yeah, but, you know, I, first off, the cap is always something that could be managed. You know, they could extend the contract. They can rework somebody's deal. You know, somebody can get cut that's, you know, a fringe player or somebody that's a veteran that they might be considering moving on from anyway. So I wouldn't necessarily look at, look at that as a huge detractor, and we're probably going to find out, you know, maybe even while we're talking that DeAndre Hopkins signs with a team that miraculously didn't have any salary cap space, but they found a way to make it work, you know. So um, those are the type of things I think that if you really have somebody in mind that you want to get on your team, you'll find a way to get that person on your team and probably compensate them for what they want to be compensated for. Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports joining us here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. I know you're based in Florida. You're in Florida now. And in South Florida, in Miami, you got the Florida Panthers playing for the Stanley Cup. Uh, you've got the Miami Heat. And you'd like to have a three, uh, kind of like a three-peat, so to speak. They'd like to have the Miami Dolphins in playoffs like that going further than they did last year, which leads us to Tua Tango-Vailoa. Uh, I know it's just OTAs. He's bulked up. He took jujitsu classes in the off season. What are the realistic expectations from Tua this season? Well, don't forget about the Florida Marlins as well. They are second true. place in the NLEs. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Clearly, I think a lot of people down here would like to see the Dolphins uh, have a long playoff run. I, I mean, look, if, if they can keep him healthy, this is going to be one of the best offenses in football, especially if they find a way to add Dalvin Cook to whatever level of Dalvin Cook they might be getting. You know, so. It's one of those things where if he stays healthy last year, they're probably a legitimate, you know, I don't want to say Super Bowl contender, but they're certainly in, in the conversation for that next year, depending on, you know, a play here, play there. Um, you know, they added Jalen Ramsey to the defense. You know, that secondary could be among the best in football when you look at Xavier Howard on the other side. And I think if they can keep Teron Armstead, their left tackle healthy for the majority of the season, that's going to be a big part of keeping Tua healthy as well. So the run game should be better because you have a full season of Jeff Wilson. Let's assume that Dalvin Cook doesn't happen. Uh, and Devon Achain, the rookie that they got from Texas A&M, just a fast, you know, uh, additional speed to this team. You have arguably the best wide receiver duo in the NFL. You know, we'll see if they can find some other parts in the passing game. But if Tua stays healthy, they're going to be in the mix. You know, again, I don't think they're better than Kansas City. I don't know if they're better than Cincinnati or Buffalo. 
But again, they're in that next group of teams that, you know, you never know what happens with an injury or two in the playoffs. You mentioned Dalvin Cook, and I had that on my notes for the next question. I keep seeing his name with all these trade rumors, mainly to Miami. Why is he on the market with all these mentions lately? Well, I think you just look at the position and the nature of his contract. You know, he didn't necessarily live up to the numbers last year from a money standpoint. And so Minnesota, you know, with a new coach coming in last year, Kevin O'Connell may feel like Alexander Madison or Ty Chandler or a rookie that they just got in Dwayne McBride. You know, these guys might be better as a group than necessarily forcing the ball to Dalvin Cook and you free up some salary cap, you know, for maybe a move that they want to make prior to, you know, the start of the season, whether it's a guy getting cut or something that they want to do to extend somebody. That means a little bit more to them. Remember, they got to pay Justin Jefferson soon, and we know he's not going to be cheap. So um, I think if, if you're just looking at it, you know, he's at that point in his career, which is it's so funny. It used to be, oh, 30 is old for running back. Now we're talking 27 is old for running back. These guys just, unfortunately, you know, play the wrong position. Uh, but I think he still has something to offer. You know, we'll see which team takes a chance on him if he's cut or, like you said, you know, potentially uh, get in, in, acquire him in trade. You know, probably not going to take much to get a, a running back at this point, especially if you're taking on salary. So, most likely he'll get cut if that's the move that the Vikings make. And the Dolphins will be in the mix. There'll probably be another team or two. You know, Dallas, I'm sure, would be a, a team that you hear. They want to add some you know, help to, to a Tony Pollard. You know, um, you know, the Rams, I'm sure, would be in the mix as well. You know, you start to connect the dots and maybe some assistant coaches that he's you know, worked with. So he'll find a suitor probably pretty quickly. Uh, but I, don't, I, I would not be surprised if he's not starting running back for the Minnesota Vikings. Why hasn't Ezekiel Elliott found a new home? Same thing. You know, you're talking about a 27-year-old running back that had a, a disappointing season, you know, first time in his career under four yards per carry. You know, he was sort of saved by the touchdowns and all the work that the Cowboys gave him. So, you know, I think this is going to be one of those situations, you know, you see uh, Kareem Hunt without a job. You see Leonard Fournette without a job. You see a guy like Mark Ingram, for example, you know, without a job. So there are some running backs that have a lot of name recognition. But, again, they play a position where they're probably looking for a certain salary. They're probably looking for an opportunity to start. They may be waiting on an injury or two, you know, so – Somebody's going to give these guys a chance, you know, and Dalvin Cook, again, might have his name join that list. You still could see maybe Joe Mixon have his name join that list as well. And who knows what the Saints decide to do if Alvin Kamara suspended for, you know, six-plus mm-hmm. games if they decide to move on there, you know. So once you get to that 27-year-old age, especially if you assign a big second-year deal or you're looking for that second-year deal, these teams are getting frustrated with those type of players pretty quickly. It's not like we have a lot of Derrick Henry's floating around that are still producing as they're getting close to 30. There's a reason that guy's a freak of nature. So – uh, the running back position is just not exactly the kindest to NFL players right now. What about a guy like DeAndre Hopkins? I know he gets released, what, a little over a week or so ago, and I would have thought maybe somebody would have picked him up. I know he probably wants a lot more money than people are willing to pay, but why hasn't he found a home, and where do you think he might end up? Well, it's you know great when you uh, have an opportunity to pick your destination, but you say, I want to win, and I want $20 million. Well, you got to probably make a decision. Do you want to win, or do you want to get paid? So you know, I think if he's looking for a big paycheck, I would imagine his former team, the Houston Texans, you've heard that rumor. They'll probably be in the mix. they got a lot of salary cap space. You, know, you probably see another team or two that has a whole receiver. You know, I know Cleveland's talking to him. At least that's the rumor because of the connection with Deshaun Watson. You know, I'm sure a team like Carolina that has, you know, really a lack of a number one receiver and, you know, some money to spend, they might be in the conversation. Chicago, you know, trying to add another weapon to D.J. Moore to, to put off, you know, to give for Justin Fields. Uh, but there's a reason why you're hearing Buffalo's a little tepid, why Kansas City hasn't made a move yet, you know. To me, the Chiefs make the most sense. You know, if, if he really wants to win, that's the best place to be. The receiving core right now is clearly incomplete. You know, with Darius Tony and Sky Moore and Mark Valdez scaling, there's no lead singer there. Uh, obviously, Travis Kelsey's that guy, but he's not a wide receiver. So if he wants to win, go to Buffalo, go to Kansas City. You have the best chance to get a ring. If you want to get paid, that's fine. Go, go to Houston, and I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll suffer a little bit, but you'll have a nice, you know, bank account to look at. 
Definitely not an offseason in the NFL. doesn't seem like there ever is an offseason in the NFL, and training camp's not that far away as well. Jamie, thanks again for spending a few minutes with us. We always enjoy talking the NFL with you and, of course, fantasy football later on as well. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports joining us here via the Aloha Kia hotline. Go to alohakia.com. You know a guy. And we'll be right back in just a minute. It's 10 minutes in front of 6 o'clock with the Sports Animals and uh, 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 Athletic Director Craig Angelis' first day today. And uh, I'm sure he's, you know, setting up his office. He's like, oh, you know, let me let me get this, uh, let me set up my uh, pencil holder over here. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, no, I don't know what he's doing on his first day, but he's... I'm sure he's hitting the ground running with so much going on. And you were mentioning a bunch of Mountain West people are in town? Yeah, they have the board of director meetings here Monday and Tuesday, today and tomorrow. So uh, what a perfect timing there. So I'm sure his schedule is pretty full with that going on the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, again, it'll be fun to hear from him. In the next, I don't know when he's going to speak to the media again. I'm not sure if it'll be as a, as a press conference. But uh, I know he's uh, obviously going to have a lot to say in the upcoming days or weeks. But I, I agree with what you said at the top of the show, basically, where I'm hoping people aren't expecting big news, uh, big ter- big change in the first week or month. Uh, things will take time. But I think, it's, again, it's, yeah, it's exciting I don't, yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody's – that's stupid to think there's going to be a big change happening in a week. What I would like uh, to see, though, is a Rainbow Wahine volleyball schedule. Uh, still waiting for that to come out. I don't know if it's early, considered early or not, so I'm not going to complain. Uh, but there's some things. I'd like to see an update. I haven't been on campus. If anyone's been on campus, text us at 808-296-1420. I don't know if you've been, Gary, or, well, Tanner, you go on campus all the time. What's the stadium looking like, Tanner Hayworth? Well, from the last time I've seen it, I haven't actually been on campus in a little while, but I will say through Aren't the, you supposed to be on campus if you're a summer. student? It's the summer. I've, I haven't had school like in a, a month. Ago. I, oh, wow. I haven't had classes since the start of May. Oh. <laughs> but I will say uh, through, I think it's the uh, Warrior All Access website, those guys – They've been actually posting videos of the construction of T.C. Ching Athletics Complex, and it looks like they filled in the corners of the two far side oh, wow. uh, sidelines, and they're about halfway. What are these halfway. cats called? Warrior what? It's like Warrior All Access, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, they do have a lot of you know behind-the-scenes info, like verbal commits, guys who's on visits and all that stuff. It's a pretty cool website. But uh-huh. they've but from what the videos from what I've seen from them is. They have, like, the frame for the video board pretty much almost ready to go construction-wise. And both uh, end zone seats, uh, bleachers at least, are pretty much halfway through. And then they have to put the bleachers down there as well. But construction is actually going at a very uh, a quicker pace than I thought it would be going in. So that's a good sight to see. You can see them on right. Instagram at Warrior All Access. They do have that picture up there. And we had David Matlin on a little over a week ago for his last appearance as AD on the show. And we did ask him for an update. And, yeah, he did talk about the seats. Everything he said was on schedule, though. 
So everything should be ready. Scoreboard seats, everything ready to go for next season, even though it hasn't all been completed. But they should be headed in that direction. So that's a good thing, at least for now. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, yeah, can't wait. 82 days till uh, Rainbow Warrior football. When does tra- Do we know have a date of tra- when training camp starts? Uh, I don't have an exact date. I know the last time we talked to Timmy, we asked him, but he didn't have an exact date. We do know they're allowed to start practice 30 days before the first game. So that would make it, what, July 26, give or take a day or two. So you can say it's next month, I guess. Next, late next month it'll start. Right on. Uh, getting ready for, uh, you know, they still got recruits coming in. We got one last week. Uh, speaking of recruits, the Rainbow Warrior basketball team uh, got one, uh, a kid from New Zealand. Now, so many times I hear this when it comes to players coming to Hawaii, or maybe it's everywhere. He's a combo guard. Uh, okay, so he's got to be better at one than the other, right? Well, I mean, is, yeah. it a, is it a shooting guard that sometimes in a pinch can play point guard? Or vice versa. I, and I totally agree you hear that more often than not. I think it's kind of this, and you've heard me say this for years. There's not a big difference from the one and two guard, point and shooting guard. There's Nowadays, not a big difference from right. the two guard to the three three spot the small forward there's not a big difference from the four and the five so i think some of those positions depending on the player are interchangeable sounds like he is that i believe we heard that about noel coleman as well when he came in that he was kind of a combo guard as well and he's more than but two. he's not yeah but he can he can play the point too he's played the point for hawaii a number of times over the years right but he's not a, he's not a point guard he's not uh like the last couple of point guards we have those guys were uh point guards i can't even remember our point guards name now well, Javon McClanahan has been there. Javon year. McClanahan, yeah. he's a point guard, right? Yeah. He's not. You wouldn't say, "Oh, he's a combo guard or a shooting guard." McClanahan is Clutch McClanahan. He's a point guard. That's what we, right? Yeah, but there's probably been times when he's played the two as well, though. You know, again, those those positions to me are just so interchangeable; it's hard to even notice a difference. But, but for this guy, Beatty, when I mean, he's running the point, you can tell a difference in the team's performance when McClanahan's running the point. As to when, say, you know, Noel Coleman is, for sure. Yeah, well, that's why he's the number one starting point guard. There you go. But All right, the other be- guys are going to play it. Just before 7 o'clock in our top stories coming up next. Hey, straight up 7 o'clock with the animals on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, you can uh, text or call in. At 808-296-1420. Here's a few things you need to know heading on in. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations to uh, Athletic Director Craig Angelis. The Craig Angelis era begins today for Rainbow Warrior and Wahine Athletics. Exciting times. Hopefully some good days ahead, better days ahead. David Matlin uh, will be missed. He will be much appreciated. But uh, Craig Angelis on the clock right now and... uh, uh, should be some fun years ahead. We'll hopefully things headed all around in the right direction with stadiums and everything else for UH Athletics. All right. We just mentioned, of course, uh, over the weekend, you hear that UH men's basketball has landed uh, another recruit, a 6'5 combo high school player, 6'5 combo guard out of New Zealand, Tom Beatty. Yeah, he's got size, good, good really good numbers. And, uh, again, the fact that you got him for four years, we love these transfers. We've got a number of transfers coming in. I'm glad they got a true freshman as well. We'll have at least four years to play. So that's good. And, again, right now everything looks good with his numbers and his resume so far, playing on the under-19 team in New Zealand, uh, doing some really good work with national teams there as well. 
All right. The uh, uh, the Denver Nuggets got caught in a Miami Heat sandwich. The series now tied at one. Miami starts out strong and ends up really strong uh, to beat the Nuggets by just three, 111 to 108 yesterday. Great shooting game, really, by both teams with their numbers and a game that we haven't seen in a while where it goes down to the wire. Uh, you couldn't ask for much more as far as the drama in that last couple of minutes. Denver made a great comeback, and maybe this is a little bit of a wake-up call for them, knowing, hey, you know, we, we had Miami almost down 2-0, and we let them back in the series. Now they go on the road. I, I don't really... Don't know. I really don't know who's going to win this series based on these two games. I think both teams have a legitimate shot. I didn't like when people were already giving Denver the championship after game one, though. That was way too premature. Yeah, it was kind of the perception, though, be, uh, because it was. It was like Denver looked so strong, and Miami just looked so tired, I guess, in that first thing. But, uh, you know, when you got a coach like Eric Spolstra and uh, guys like Jimmy Butler and, and Bam Adebayo, they don't have the talent that Denver has. They don't have the size that Denver has. They don't have the athleticism that Denver has. Yet, the you know, and uh, somebody pointed out yesterday on the TV broadcast, neither did the Celtics. Uh, the Celt- You know, the Miami didn't have the, you know, what the Celtics had. But the Miami, the Miami Heat do what the Miami Heat do. They just go all out and hustle. You've got to love this team. I saw where Paul Pierce came out and said, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, that these are neither of these teams are the best two teams in the NBA. And I, I know what he – well, I think he'd be even a little bit of a homer for the Celtics. He's at all the Celtics games now. But how can you say that? Denver was the number one seed in the West. They might not have the attractive all-stars like a LeBron or a Steph Curry or a Kevin Durant and Booker, but I think they are the best team. And for Miami, not a great regular season, but if you look at the last two or three years – Who's been a better team than them? Milwaukee, yeah, they won a championship. Great. But they've struggled since then. Philadelphia never can get over that hump. Boston has been a little, maybe a little further than people thought two years ago. But I think it's hard to say Miami isn't one of the two best teams in the NBA right you, now. I wonder if all of this turnover with coaches every two years is doing it to the other teams, right? Now, Greg Popovich, he's obviously forgotten how to, you know, how to really coach a team. Oh, yeah. So let's take him out of the, uh, you know. Uh, out of the equation but look at these teams you have a coach of the year how many of these teams are like coach of the year they win an nba championship two years later they're gone i mean that's got i mean look at the celtics look at some of these other teams why why all the what you know why milwaukee bucks oh coach bud you know the guy didn't uh, do a great job this year so you're gone i mean they're always starting over every two years it's kind of stupid well, I think in a way it is. I don't think you're starting over as much because you still – if you promote an assistant coach like for Boston, you get Joe Mazzulla in there for Udoka who left not because of any other reason but what he did outside of the court, um, and he got in trouble there. But Joe Mazzulla is an assistant there. He takes over. Well, he's going to have a lot of continuity because he's been on well, staff Well, he's also going to have a lot of things that he wants to do that his way and to put his stamp on it. He might have a different coaching style that players don't um, respond to. They're not robots. We're not talking about AI here where it's like replace the head coach with this assistant. It will be exactly the same. Sure, there's some there's there's the continuity that's involved, but I think that there's nothing to say that Joe Missoula 
is the coach that Ime Uduka ever Uduko ever was. Well, but I think actually, actually they go to I the mean, finals it's too early last to year. Tell. It's really too early to but, tell. But they go to the finals last year. You're not going to make any changes, any drastic changes there. You're going to keep everything going because you were one of the two best teams in the league last year. That's one team. Yeah. What about everybody else who fires their coaches? Uh, no. Nick Nurse. I mean, yeah. all of these guys. I mean, it's like, hey, I know you won a championship for us a couple years ago, but nah, you lost it. We didn't do well this year. Yeah, those, those are different cases. and That's what I'm talking about. George it's, Carl, it's, it's, I believe, lost his job general, as coach of the year. In general, that's what happens in the NBA, and it happens a lot lately. And I think that's maybe the reason why the Miami Heat aren't the most talented. They aren't the biggest. They aren't the most physical, although you could have fooled me yesterday with their physicalness. Or why the Miami Heat aren't, you know, they're, just, they're not that big. But, but I don't they think just you have to win. Be, I don't think you have to be the biggest team to win a championship. I mean, no, no, no. But. I'm saying all in all, Denver is bigger. Denver can be more physical. Denver is more athletic. And I don't know you if know, they're more they're, athletic. They're, they're I wouldn't actually say well, that. I I would. Okay. But anyway, okay. it's just our opinions. Yeah. Well, I'm stealing the opinion of of Jalen Rose as well. But when you watch the game, they are a little bit more athletic, I guess. But anyway, the point is. I think Miami is where they are is because they don't fire their coaches every two years. That's made a big difference, and he's a good. Obviously, he's a good coach to keep that job. He's done a great job, and uh, again, they've got perfect chemistry or as good a chemistry as you would want with any team there. And I, I think again with some of these coaching changes, but it also goes in the other direction when you look at maybe the L.A. Lakers. They get a rookie head coach in Darvin Ham, and from December on, I believe they had the best record in the NBA or close to it, and they go pretty far in the playoffs, further than a lot of teams mm-hmm. thought in the Western Conference right. Finals, and that with the change of coach, so it worked out well for them. Well, part of that, too, is that LeBron James and Anthony Davis were playing together and they were both healthy. I think that helped out Darvin Ham as well. It did, but it's still, I think a coach can make a difference there. I mean, they also made a lot of, uh, had a lot of turnover in their roster around the All-Star break, uh, trade deadline, excuse me, uh, with Russell Westbrook going out and other guys like Hachimor and D'Angelo Russell coming in, to say the least. Yeah, and I I thought he did a good job of coaching. I thought it was a good, uh, you know, strategy was good. They were just, uh, you know, they just, they just fell a little short. And the Lakers, I mean, some of these teams, when you spend all your money on a couple of players, you know, how are you going to win a championship that way? Well, if you get good role what players. The, what's that? If you get good role players, good chemistry, Miami did it with the big three. They had the big three with Wade, Bosch, and LeBron, and then they had everybody else almost at minimum. You know, the Mario Chambers, the Shane Battiers, you know, the Ray Allen came in later on, and it worked out well. But that's it's hard to do that when you're paying these guys all that money, yes. Right, but at that time they were willing to pay take less money, yeah, yeah, because they wanted to have a championship. They wanted to play with LeBron James, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. worked out really well there. Maybe even Golden State to a certain extent, and that might be one of the problems they're having now because now you can't afford to bring in good role players. Two guys, are, too, so many guys are making so <laughs> much money there that you can't afford to pay a twenty million dollar guy, twenty million a year guy to join this team these days. It just doesn't work that way. Not now with the unbelievable contracts they're giving. I mean, Jokic, I saw, uh, he's making $46 million a year, but he only takes only takes home about $26 million, which is crazy that he doesn't get, he loses that much in taxes. You know, we talked about, I'm trying to get into this if I can, Chris, for a second. Wait, 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 wait what? Okay. We're, about we're his salary. NBA, now how much taxes are taken out of a player's? Well, for, for Jokic, I just saw this breakdown, uh, and we've talked about it over the years. There's something called the jock tax. 
And what that is is, and we, I know you brought it up, I think, for the first time years ago, that if a player, and let's say in the NBA, they pay taxes, but they also pay tax in whatever state they're working in. So when Jokic goes to Miami this week, just like everybody else on Denver, they got to pay a tax on their, you know, paying taxes working in another state. He's lost this year $1.4 million in jock taxes. Seventeen point three million in federal tax. So from that doesn't 46- make sense, though. That doesn't make sense because if people like nowadays you work remotely, and you are you going to pay two state taxes? It, 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 it seems like it's kind of unfair. You're talking about this jock tax. It seems unfair to me. But the um, you know part of the reason he gets taxed so much is because he's in the highest tax bracket there is. That's also another reason. But they say in Colorado is one of the few states where everybody gets taxed, no matter what bracket, you're in the same percentage. And it must be high because, again, he's losing you know, $17.3 million in federal tax. He goes from 46.9 right. to 24.2. Right. And then, then that's why players want to play in, in the state of Florida. They want to play in Texas. They don't want to play in California. They certainly don't want to play in Toronto. It's why you have, you know, it's why, you know, Las Vegas is going to be is going to be a uh, free agent's dream whenever they get their team. I mean, right. You're saying, oh, well, it's good because in Colorado, everyone pays whatever it is, 10%. And I think that all taxes should be worked out that way, but that's a political statement. (laughs) People will get angry at me for getting political. But the, um, um, you know, that way the rich people, your millionaires don't hide all of their money because they end up paying no taxes. The poor people pay no taxes because they can't afford it. So it's all on the middle class. That's how our country is built. But I'm going to stop again. Stop it, Chris. Okay, one, one stop last it. thing. Stop yourself, Chris. What I'm how, getting I, at is, what I'm getting at is that's why, since you're getting you're you're getting taxed at home and you're getting taxed away. Well, if you go to Florida or Texas or uh, Las Vegas or some of these other cities, you get only taxed away. You save a lot of money. Right, right. Big difference. Big difference. If you're Jokic's agent, you made $1.41 million this year. That's pretty good money for just one player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many more uh, clients a guy has, but some of these agents, I know it's usually around 3 or 4% they make off the player's contract. But that's a lot. Just imagine what Steph Curry's agent or Damian Lillard's agent is going to make when he gets to $63 million or so in like two years. Right. I mean, I'm, do you know what – I don't know what the percentage of is. Do you know what his percentage I just said is? I just said it's about like 3 to 4%. I think some may take 5, but it's no more than 5. Yeah, you're not going to get – if you're – if you're if, if I'm making $63 million, I'm not giving my agent 5% of that, right? It's it's. I'm sure it's a sliding scale on how much you're willing to pay. The more that you make, the smaller percentage uh, the agents are going to get. Now, if I'm Duncan Robinson's – um, and not to say, I mean, you know, they're all making a million bucks at least, but if I'm Duncan Robinson's agent, I'm asking for 5%. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know how it works as far as do they set that before a contract is signed? Is it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what I'm saying. So when, when he gets his next raise, I mean, is this, I, 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 it's interesting what you said about maybe a sliding scale that maybe it drops if you make that much more. I don't know, I don't know how they do it. I mean, that's how it works in sales in a lot of uh, places. The more It's why... You know, in some jobs, if you're in sales, you make a 20% commission. Well, if I sell a $1.4 million house in real estate in Hawaii, I'm not going to get 20%. I'm going to get 3%. That's just how it works. Um, It's 13 minutes after, and uh, folks, you can text in 
808-296-1420. And uh, here's one about the Miami Heat. Another, uh, I'm thinking reason is what he meant, another reason to root for the Miami Heat is former University of Hawaii outstanding guard Anthony Carter is an assistant coach for the Heat. Need to give love not only to Kevin Love, but also to A.C. Carter. He can earn another ring, too, if the Heat wins. All right. Another ring? Did he have a ring before? Yeah, I was just trying to say, I don't remember he getting a first ring. I believe this would be his first. I keep forgetting about A.C. Carter because, you know, I want to see him on the sidelines, right? I want to see him. I want to see. I, I forget to look for him. You know what I mean when they go to break. Yeah, he's right behind the bench, but he's like maybe a seat over from Spolster. And I saw them play the Knicks this year, and you could see him there. But if you don't know he's going to be sitting in that one spot, he is hard to find. But at least you know he's right there with the oh, team right behind the bench. He's a behind the bench coach. Yes. yes oh, he so is. he's not. He ha- he's not. He's kind of way down on the totem pole there. He, well, again, his title I think is, is the director of player development. And assistant mm-hmm. coach, so yeah, he does more of the player development than you know in-game coaching or. So it's kind of like Phil like Handy started out. That's exactly. what Phil Handy was. He was the guy that worked on Shaq's free throws, and well, he failed in that aspect, I guess. But and then now Phil Handy uh, for the Lakers is uh, he's a uh, uh, almost right next to the head coach. Coach. Yeah, you know we're going to get him on the show hopefully this week, and the reason he can't come on today or tomorrow, he's doing work for the WNBA. I don't know. In what capacity, but uh, once we get that settled, hopefully he'll be joining us later on this week. Well, that'll be great. Okay. And, of course, uh, game number three moves to Miami in the NBA Finals. It's going to be here Wednesday here on ESPN Honolulu. And we'll see if Tyler Hero plays. Uh, I know they said, actually I heard on the pregame yesterday where his hand is still swollen. So, you know, hearing some reports that he's able, he's been cleared to resume basketball activities, makes it sound like he was getting closer. We hear game three was maybe the likely game for him before the series started. But when you hear that yesterday, that there's still swelling and discomfort in his right hand, that doesn't sound encouraging. And I think Miami, again, I don't know what kind of boost they would get in this capacity if he's been out over a month. And I don't know, you can't just come back, especially in the finals, and be business as usual, midseason form, or, you know, pick up where you left off. So it might take him a couple of games. But I think if they do get him back to where he was before or close to it, that's another advantage for Miami. I mean, he was having a really good year again. And he is such an important player that if they do get him back, I, again, I think it could be a boost. But if, he's, if his hand was that swollen yesterday, he was doing some two-on-two drills, they said. Uh, that doesn't sound encouraging to be able to play a game two days later or three days later, I guess. Yeah, I mean, what he's going to bring and what, you know, because in, in my opinion, Denver is more athletic than the Miami Heat is all of a sudden you bring a little bit more athleticism uh, and somebody who was also able to, uh, uh, you know, cut to the basket uh, pretty well in Tyler Hero. Plus, I mean, you got a guy that's going to fire you up. I mean, everybody's fired up. Sure, it's the finals. But, I mean, this guy is a spark plug. Uh, six man of the year maybe he's not going to be at that status but it certainly couldn't hurt i think it also just makes their bench a little deeper 
you got another weapon. Let's say I would imagine you're not going to start him, of course, when he come, whenever he comes back, if he does. So you got him on the bench. You got Duncan Robinson on the bench. You got Kyle Lowry on the bench. Three guys who I mean can be really deadly three-point shooters. If anybody else gets hurt, Caleb Martin gets sick. If Gabe Vincent's having an off day, or Max Struess is like the one for ten or whatever he was in game one. I think he was zero for ten. You got a lot of weapons that can step in for him. So it makes they and they use their bench as we said, where Denver doesn't use it as much. You get another weapon like him, but again, let's say he comes back for game four, because it doesn't seem as likely from what they said yesterday that will be back Wednesday. He's still not going to be the same player right away, and it might take till the end of the series if it goes six or seven before he is, but I think that would – just having that body in uniform I think could help them, but it will be nice to see if he does get to play again. All right, 808-296-1420. What do you think? Uh, who's got game three? It's going to be in Miami, and uh... – I wonder what the the Denver Nuggets are going to do, right? Like when Rui Hachimura was guarding um, Jokic uh, against when it was the Lakers, and then they came up with some kind of counter. I don't remember what they did, but they came out with some kind of counter to that. Now the Denver Nuggets, I mean, basically, according to the coach, hey, you know what? They just got to play some defense. That and more coming up with the sports animals here on ESPN Honolulu. it's going to be sunny and hot this whole week. (laughs) Light trades today. Hopefully those will pick up uh, a little later on in the week. We'll have another traffic update for you in eight minutes here on ESPN Honolulu. We've been talking a lot, of course, uh, uh, and it's warranted, about the game yesterday. Yesterday, the Miami Heat over the Denver Nuggets, 111-108. to And that was a – I was so thankful for that game because it's like if it came out to another sluggish start for the Miami Heat, it's like, oh, no. It's, it, you would think that maybe you're talking a sweep even, even though they're uh, really, really rare. And so in Miami, even when Miami came out to a 10-2 to start, and whatever it was in the first quarter, till, till, you know, towards about the two-thirds of the first quarter, Miami is dominant. You're going, what's going on? I was never comfortable, as we've learned, and you shouldn't get that comfortable uh, with these the run that Miami Heat had. You knew the Denver Nuggets were going to come back. Then your question is, are the Miami Heat, do they have another run in them? And they really, really did. Now, whether it's because Denver wasn't playing great defense or Miami was just playing really good offense. I mean, Max Struess, a couple of threes that he had, where, you know, he hits those threes. I think it was in the first quarter, that one, where it's like, why is he all alone in the corner? And taking And nobody even tried to gain on him. I mean, it was like 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, shot goes in. It was crazy. Well, they had guys driving to the basket, so the guy defending him tries to help. Maybe give some help, you know, rotating down low. Right, right. And then he's open. They did that. Jimmy Butler does that all the time. That's how they found some open shooters like Drews and Gabe Vincent as well for open shots. But nobody tried to gain any ground on him after that. He just stood there with the ball, it seemed like, forever on two of those shots from the corner. It was crazy. That's what Mike Malone was getting nuts about. Miami also, they start the fourth quarter. They shot 10 of 11. 
to start that fourth quarter. And I don't think Denver necessarily played bad defense. Miami just started hitting shots. Right. They're in the finals for a reason. They are a good shooting team. And I don't I don't think, again, that Denver got complacent, but I kept wondering that because when you get a lead like that, and as you said, and we all know, basketball is a game of runs. So you get up by 15 or 20, you might sit back just a little subconsciously and other teams get a run right. and come back. Miami did it in game one, down 21, cut it to 10. Uh, an 11-0 run to start the quarter, and then Denver realized, hey, we got a game now, let's get going. I think it's kind of a subconscious thing where teams just, maybe they start using the shot clock more instead of going through their normal de- offensive schemes and sets and just trying to kill clock, and then they're not getting a good shot off. You get a couple of those, and all the, like Miami did near the end of the fourth quarter, and then Denver hits a couple of threes, and the next thing you know, it's, a, it's anybody's game. Uh, and I just like a chess match in that aspect, in a way. But right. I don't think Denver, again, played poor defense. I, mean, I think it's smarter, Mike Malone, to call them out so yeah. they don't get overconfident at all, realizing, hey, we played poorly. We've got to play better than this. Yeah, and I think it, it is. It's a, if you talk to an NBA player, and I've heard a few say it over the years, you can't play with the, When you're up 20, you can't play with the same intensity as when you're down by three. You, you, as a human, you just can't do it. And that's where you get people say you got to put the you know foot on their throat. You know what? So much easier said than done. And I think that's why you see these kinds of like um, games of runs. But it was great to see guys like Duncan Robinson um, have the have the game that he had after starting so poorly. And the same with Max Struess. You got Kevin Love as a starter. It was just a nice little storybook game. Gabe Vincent who uh, scored 23 in this game, the leading scorer again. But a guy like Gabe Vincent out of uh, the Big West uh, UCSB, Gabe Vincent's in a contract year. He's he's going to make a gazillion million dollars. He's <laughs> going to be in a different yeah. he's going to be in a different tax bracket uh, come the you know whatever whenever people sign him. Now, I don't know if the Miami Heat can keep him or they want to keep him. I sure hope they do. But somebody's going to pay Gabe Vincent a huge amount of money. Yeah, he, if he's, I didn't realize he was in a contract year, but he's going to get a lot with what he's done in these playoffs. And, again, it's, it's kind of cool to see a guy out of the Big West, too, that I remember him at Santa Barbara. Never thought necessarily to be an NBA player. Didn't think that about Paul George necessarily either uh, from Fresno back in the day. But he has just become yeah. a bona fide starter. He is more than just legit. And yeah. uh, a lot of teams would love to have a Gabe Vincent on their team hey. with what he's done. <laughs> I still remember that. I brought it up earlier. I still picture in my mind him trying to guard um, – uh, Nikola Jokic, oh. as Jokic was backing down, backing him up to the rim. I mean, it was like he was just a little scrapper. I and mean, what is what is Gabe Vincent? Six three, about six yeah. four, maybe something like that. And he looks so tiny, and he looks so small next to Jokic, backing backing into him. It's crazy. Uh, we'll have a traffic update for you in a few minutes here on ESPN Honolulu. Nikola Jokic, the guy we're watching now, two-time MVP. And he wasn't the MVP this year, although he easily could have been. Yep. But when you talk about the big, the best players of all time and your top 50 players and your top 20 players and whatever it is, I mean, this guy is not even close to being done. I mean, if, De- if he plays like this for the next five years, you have to consider Nikola Jokic as one of the best NBA basketball players of all time. 
I couldn't say it better than or couldn't agree more. And that's one of the things where people, some people will say, well, today he already is that. I wouldn't give him that yet. We've seen players have great two or three year stretches and he's been unbelievable. He right. probably is top 50 right now. I, you know, you have to look at the list. But to say top 20 of all time, I wouldn't go that far yet. But a few years from now, he could easily, uh, if he just plays even close to what he's doing. We've never seen a center or a player quite like him. And a few more years under his belt, and again, he's already on his way. But I don't think he's the top 20 of all time yet. But again, now everybody's becoming more aware of him, which doesn't matter. That shouldn't matter as far as how you perceive him. He's always well. He's been this great for several years now, uh, and it's just a, a guy that you really can't defend. You mentioned that I think the other day one of the hardest guys, hardest players to guard in the NBA. There's not a lot of harder players to guard than Nikola Jokic. He, again, he's one of those guys you have a you really can't stop him. He might miss, but you're not really going to do a lot to stop. You might slow him down a little maybe have him miss a shot or two, but he has just been one of those guys with his size, with his court sense, with his passing ability, the size of his hands, everything combined, great free throw shooter, great three-point shooter. The guy has no weakness, not at all. And I love the fact that he hardly says a word in the court. I, I like players that don't have to talk back to the refs or talk to the other team's bench every time they hit a three. I, I, like, the, I like everything about his game. He's a great player and uh, – it's only going to get better. If they win a championship, it obviously helps his resume as well. You would think, as of right now, he'd be the finals MVP, although Jamal Murray might have something to say about it. Or Jimmy Butler could have something to say about it or out of bio because I don't think the series is over. And at 1-1, even whoever wins game three, you're going to have an advantage, of course. The teams that are up 2-1 usually win. I wouldn't be surprised if they go back to Denver 2-2 after this weekend. You know what you can say about Nikola Jokic is that um – He's definitely a Hall of Famer already. Already a Hall of Fame player. If you look at who has won the – there's not one person who is the MVP, because I want to I want to react to the thing you said about, well, you know, he, he might be just good for two years and then he's not good anymore. People who win the MVP go on to win the Hall of Fame. You can look at a whole list from 1956 from Bob Pettit to, Pettit to Joel Embiid today, and you've got the only person who's – uh, you got, you know, he's one of the last, uh, well, before this year, the two years. Giannis won it two years in a row. James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James. What The only one that wouldn't apply to maybe would be Derrick Rose, and that's because of injury. But that's the right. only one. Yeah. yeah. And that's due to injury. Allen Iverson, Shaq, Carl Malone, Tim Duncan, Kevin Dar- Garnett. Steve Nash, Dirk, Kobe. I mean, this is the level he is at. In fact, he's above the level of some of these one-time winners like (laughs) Kevin Durant. Sorry, just is. Sorry, Durant lovers. There you go. On a list of top guys, I have uh, Nikola Jokic better than Kevin Durant. See, I wouldn't go that far. And I know you don't like Durant, but I mean... He's won more MVPs, but that's about it. He hasn't won a championship. Durant won the one with Golden State. Right. Uh, right. What has Kevin Durant done without Steph Curry? Nada. Made well, a lot of money all... and disappointed a lot of fans. No, 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 no. He's one of the best scorers this game has ever seen, and he's been like that whether it's Brooklyn or Oklahoma City. Right. And, he, and he's a really good defensive player, isn't he? he he's not a bad defensive uh, player. I think Jokic, Jokic – uh, I can't see Kevin Kevin Durant is not unstoppable. 
Jokic. Whoa. Jokic. Jokic, if you're in his face, he shoots the ball from behind his head and puts it in. Durant's seven feet tall. You can't really defend him either. I think he's one of the more undefendable players in the league. He, Harden, LeBron, and Jokic. But today, as of June 5th. If he's so good, why are the Phoenix Suns firing their coach? He's there for two months. You're blaming him? Okay. You're blaming him? (laughs) Okay. Let me blame him for all the other stops. What happened to the Brooklyn Nets? But they didn't have all their players. Don't blame him for anything that went on there. What happened to him throughout his entire career except for the years that he was with Golden State? What happened to Jokic when he didn't have Jamal Murray in the playoffs? They didn't go far the last couple of years. Right. So, you're going to yeah. blame him for that? Well, Durant, no. today on June 5th, Durant has had a better career than Jokic. Well, he's had a longer career True. than him. What I'm saying is right now, if I'm starting a team, I would much rather have Nikola Jokic than Kevin Durant. Well, it's a different conversation than today. One of the things is, one of the, don't get angry. It's okay. It's just I'm sports not angry. talk. I'm changing the topic a little bit. What I'm involving because we are not getting anywhere. What I'm getting at is if I'm making a team, Jokic is more of a complete player in my mind than Kevin Durant. But anyway, i uh, got to take a break and uh, check out our traffic. We'll be right back here on ESPN Honolulu. Oh, before we do, I uh, want to let you know that athletes with a capital EATS is a cool podcast with Cole Mousehoff on our YouTube channel or ESPN Honolulu. Uh, this uh, episode features Rainbow Wahine ballers Ashley Toms and Kelsey Imai as they sit down at Andy's Sandwiches and Smoothies in Manoa. And it's brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, Hawaii's Bank. having a great day so far we're the sports animals and uh, hey uh, over the weekend hey how did our uh, how did our uh, major league baseball hawaiians do gary little bit better for everybody that played so we finally got a little bit better news and let's start with colton wong uh, it's been a rough season for him he did go one for four yesterday for seattle with a walk which upped his batting average a couple of points he is now hitting 159 isaiah kind of falefa for the new york yankees one for three with a walk he scored a run. His batting average now at 222. And Josh Rojas for Arizona had the best game, best day yesterday. Two for three. And RBI had a walk. And also his average now still a little low, but at 241 after yesterday's two for four, or two for three uh, performance. Kirby Yates for Atlanta did not pitch yesterday. All righty. Thank you very much for that. You know, uh, I saw something yesterday. And, well, a lot of times on Sports Talk Radio, Women's golf doesn't come to mind, but Rose Zhang is a name that a lot of uh, maybe hardcore golfing fans know because she won the NCAA championship out of Stanford the last two years, individual championship, and uh, two weeks ago she won it again. And then yesterday she wins her pro debut. That hasn't been done in 72 years crazy that a that a a first-time player in their first lpga tour event wins 72 years since that's happened last and well we saw it yesterday with uh rose zhang and the great thing about this is 
is she was so humble. When she won the national championship a couple of weeks ago, all she did was praise her teammates and her coach and, and everything. You know, it's almost like during the interview she's looking at her coach for, like, approval on some of her answers on things. She's very young, so um, it was great to see her win yesterday. It's, it's like that's where you root for the good guys in sports, right? Yeah. The opposite of your Kevin Durant's and Kyrie Irving's and people like this. You see this kind of thing happen for her, and you go, wow, how special is she going to be? I had people coming up talking about her yesterday, and I, I didn't realize the entire story until yesterday. I knew her, I saw her name or heard her name over the weekend, but that's quite a feat. I mean, I, I know they're going to compare her to Tiger Wood, just both coming out of Stanford, but hasn't happened since 1951, and uh, hopefully she can continue this success, but what a run it's been. And from everything I've read about her and saw the brief interviews, like you said, very humble as well, great personality, but what a cool story. I don't even know the uh, – I don't know where she's from. Um, I don't know if she's from California. I mean, she's not – she's American. Yeah. I don't know if she's – where she's from, but anyway – it's like, you know, maybe she's the next Tiger Woods coming out of Stanford. Right. I think that's what people are already comparing her with, with that success and that young, uh, that age and everything like that. But, yeah, that's an incredible story there. Uh, I'll find out where she's from in just a minute. But obviously going to Stanford, you get those comparisons. Now Now there's almost pre- – you wonder if there's pressure on her to repeat. And obviously she's not going to win every tournament. You wonder how many more. But to have a start like that, that's pretty cool. I love that Yeah, start. that's uh, – but this is the kind – what she's starting on, the anticipation of Rose Zhang goes – it's very comparable – to Michelle Wee coming out on the LPGA Tour. So I'm happy about that because Michelle Wee, I mean, this is a long time ago, before she even played, had $10 million in endorsements. Because LPGA players and uh, Champions Tour players, they're not making the John Rahm type of, type of money for tournament wins and endorsements. But somebody like Rose Zhang, I'm sure can right now, um, you know, is – having all kinds of meetings with uh, corporate America on them trying to get a, you know, sponsorship tour. Maybe they already have, but um, there's an article at ESPN.com and it uh, talks about, it says Rose Zhang's win by the numbers. So she's the first player to win making her pro, uh, pro debut since 1951. Like you mentioned, Beverly Hansen was the lady who did it in 51 I didn't even know they had the LPGA in 1951. <laughs> uh, she's the fourth player to win an LPG event as a sponsor's uh, in- invitation, a sponsor's uh, exemption. Only three other people have done that. Lydia Ko, Lexi Thompson, and He Kyung Siu. Siu. Siu, sorry. The youngest player to win an LPGB- <laughs> LPGA event this season, 20 years old and 11 days. And she is the first player to win the first LPGA start as a pro since Hinako Shibuno in 2019. And the eighth to do it since 1992. Imagine if she was still at Stanford, what kind of NIL deal she'd be getting right now after winning. But she'll get well, you don't really, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, it, I don't know if that would even be a, a considered, an, I guess it could be an NIL deal. But you're talking millions of dollars. When incoming freshmen, when incoming freshmen, the freshman quarterbacks are making three to five million dollars in college football, you know that whatever club manufacturer, apparel manufacturer, you know that 
it's is, is it Callaway or Nike or uh, you know all of these guys going out um, trying to sign Rose Zhang and I I didn't I I don't remember what she was wearing so I don't know if she's got some sponsors already but I would think she has them already she's wearing a Callaway hat yesterday that's like one thing I can see ah wait, good girl that's <laughs> the way to go you gotta go some Callaway. I'll go, uh, go some Callaway or Ping. What else does she have on? I can't tell what Any MasterCards or anything? No, it just has her. I just see her hat and a little bit of her shirt, so I can't tell what the shirt, if it has any sponsors on there. She just turned 20 a week ago, a little over a week ago she turned yeah, 20. Yeah, like I said, 20 yeah. years and 11 days old. She uh, from, She's from California, Arcadia. Ah, okay, there you go. Anyway, somebody to watch now. Now, are, um, do you have people on the LG, LPGA who are going to be jealous of her stardom already, like that some were with um, with Michelle Wee. I don't remember her name, and I think it was the lady who's one of the commentators on the tour now that, that, that was kind of outspoken. That um, was kind of outspoken against Michelle Wee. Because, and I know it wasn't, I don't think it was Lexi Thompson. I think she started actually after Michelle Wee. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, you know, there was some jealousy uh, with uh, Michelle Wee. Oh, all this talk about her playing against the men and all of that. It, uh, you know, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It wasn't Michelle Wee's fault. Right. It was the media that was doing it. But at the same time, there were people on the tour that did not like Michelle Wee be- just because of that. You would think, though, if a golfer can maybe add more interest, which means more eyeballs, which might mean more money from sponsors for these tournaments. I mean, Tiger Woods, didn't he help increase the purses with extending the popularity of golf from when he taught it on the Pro Tour, right? Yeah, I mean, by millions. So I know Roseang is not quite there yet, but if she can help, you know, raise the popularity. And Michelle Wee did make women's golf more popular at the time, didn't she? There were more people curious, if not very interested, in how she was going to do, at least right. for a you while. Know, here it is. It's like when Tiger Woods was playing in a tournament. You would Somebody won the Masters, but the Sports Illustrated cover was about how Tiger Woods did. That's how big Tiger Woods was. Right, right. And there were guys like, there were guys like uh, Colin Montgomery. They were jealous of the attention that, that Tiger Woods was getting, right? There's, there's always going to be some kind of jealousy. But, um, you know, the, the, what she can do for women's golf and for young golfers in this country, a lot of people started playing golf uh, in Hawaii. A lot of little girls wanted to be Michelle Wee. There are going to be a lot of people all over the country now who want to be Rose Zhang. I, I know this is probably way out there, but do you, do you ever think that maybe the Live Tour would add a women's tour? No, no. Okay. I mean, if I was the Live, if I was Live, I'd just start a basketball league. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I think they bought a, the, the people from Saudi. They bought a so, they're buying a soccer league, didn't they? I forget which superstar right. was getting like a hundred million to play there. I don't know how many yeah. years it was, but well, because that's what they're into. Everyone's into you know soccer except the Americans. But, uh, yeah, it's 747 here with the Sports Animals. This is ESPN Honolulu. We'll check your traffic and be back with more when your text to 808-296-1420. Be right back. Good morning, 752 on this Aloha Monday. 
Uh, oh, we got a text. This is a good one. It says, Nancy Lopez was the Tiger Woods of the LPGA when she first came out, winning almost everything her first two years. And uh, that was before she started her family. Thank you. 808-296-1420. The wife of Mets third baseman, Reg third baseman, Ray Knight. I remember that as well. Often when we start our show, you will let us know what day of the year it is. Like tonight is today is World Environment Day, I believe, if I have it correct. Yes. Well, yesterday was a big day as well. It was called, well, not called, it was National Cancer Survivors Day in the United States. Great day. And how can it be any more fitting to have this story? There's a pitcher that maybe not everybody is aware of. His name is Liam Hendricks. He was an all-star closer for the Chicago White Sox. Oh, excuse me. Is this a Life Matters moment from Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union? As good as it gets. As good as it gets. This is an incredible story. Liam Hendricks was, uh, I think, last year diagnosed with stage 4 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he wasn't able to pitch, going through treatment and everything. Well, he came back about a week ago. And in his third appearance yesterday at home, of course, he works a one, two, three, ninth inning, striking out two. Again, only his third uh, appearance of the season. And in the bottom of the ninth inning, the White Sox get a grand slam walk-off home run. That's very rare. You don't get too many walk-off home runs and even less walk-off grand slam. And so Liam Hendricks gets his first win of all days on National Cancer Survivors Day. And that was just a feel-good story. When he came back a week ago, the ovation he got from the fans in Chicago, I mean, he actually came back rather quickly. Uh, And hopefully it won't reoccur, but that was just a great, great story. And whether you're a White Sox fan or not, or just a sports fan, or maybe just a human being, you got to love that Life Matters moment when Liam Hendricks got his first win yesterday. The emotion in Chicago where the White Sox get that walk-off. All right, and thank you very much. At Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union, they say choose wisely because life matters. All right, we've got a lot of NBA talk under our belts. Uh, college football season is going to be here. University of Hawaii football, 82 days. Is it 82? 82 days away. And uh, pretty soon we'll be uh, talking about spring practice and a lot more. But that also uh, brings us to the uh, topic the last couple of days. The SEC had their meetings uh, last week, and they decided they're going to play eight regular season games instead of nine. That was one of the things that we're voting on. The Big 12 is meeting. And they're talking about expansion. Last Friday, this came out last Friday. We haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, but talking about, um, well, expansion, but other things going on. Because remember now, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and Central Florida are going to be uh, a Big 12 members. And when is that? Is it next season already? Is it 23 or 20? This season or next season? i got to double-check on that. I believe it's next year, but I'll double-check on that. All right. And uh, we know that the SEC, uh, Oklahoma and Texas uh, last year were saying they're actually going to go earlier than expected to the SEC. That's going to happen in 2024. So as we start the new Craig Angeles era at the University of Hawaii, college college expansion, maybe that's what they're meeting about in Hawaii with the Mountain West right now, is what happens if, say, San Diego State leaves? What We're, happens if, uh, you know, the Pac-12 gobbles up a couple of players from the Mountain West Conference? We're going to have a lot of talk about that. In fact, tomorrow we're going to have a brand-new guest. His name is Greg Swaim. He has the Swaim Show, which is 
widely watched all over this podcast, and he says that Colorado and Arizona are planning to leave the Pac-12 for the Big 12, according to his report. We'll have him on tomorrow about who? that. Who again? His name is Greg No, Sweat. no, no. The oh, schools? Colorado and Arizona are planning to leave the Pac-12 and join the Big 12. Didn't uh, Colorado come from the Big 12? Yeah, but the TV <laughs> contract in the Pac-12 is not as uh, luxur- luxur- well, not as, not as hefty as other conferences. That's one of the problems they have. But they're getting a new contract soon. But that also might lead the way for San Diego State. There's been a lot of rumors about them maybe using the Pac-12. I've talked to the basketball coaches. Nothing definite yet there at San Diego State. Although their athletic director said it was a done deal. Right. But then again, is that that same athletic director who whined about us going to a bowl game and they didn't when we beat him? And then, probably was. Right? If we don't, if we beat Hawaii, we should go to a bowl game. Well, we shut his mouth by beating San Diego State uh, in the final game of the season. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be back with more on ESPN Honolulu. I'm loving you, loving you is easy because you're so beautiful. Thank you. Hey, good morning. It's the Sports Animals. This is ESPN Honolulu. And, of course, uh, here's some things you need to know uh, for today in the sports world. You saw it yesterday. Miami comes back in a big way and beats Denver uh, to tie the NBA final series in one all. Another example of double-digit leads in these NBA playoffs are almost a kiss of death, and it resulted in a Denver loss once again, but it wasn't easy. Up at University of Hawaii, the, uh, they continue to build up the new uh, uh, T.C. Ching Athletic Complex. The Craig Angeles era begins today for UH Athletics. We say thank you for a job well done, Mr. David Matlin. Yeah, definitely much appreciated from what David Matlin did for the University of Hawaii. Hopefully Craig Angelus can take that, as he said in his opening press conference, and take it to the next level or continue what David Matlin has started, and hopefully that will be the case. Uh, that's a tough act to follow, though. <laughs> it's I, it's I, much I easier following the wonder blunder and other things like that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, good luck, uh, Mr. Angelus. And uh, word is that Kyrie Irving has reached out to LeBron James to create a big three in Dallas. It's amazing that that is getting as much traction on Twitter in the last three, four hours because everybody's tweeting, and a lot of the responses are like, what? What? What?" I mean, just because he's reaching out, that's great. Uh, I I would never expect LeBron to say yes. I don't think he's going to leave L.A. for Dallas right now. Uh, I mean, he wants well, to unless he's traded. He has to be traded. Well, he'd have to be traded. Well, he does have a player option next year. Next year. Yeah. Th- this year, he'd have to be traded. Yeah, but I, don't, I got. But he'd have to agree agree to it. They're not going to trade him right. because he'll just say, "I retire." I'm not sure if he has a no trade clause, but that's almost meaningless in his situation. I, I don't see it happening again. One of the thing reasons it won't happen is what is Dallas going to give up in return? If it's not going to be Luka let me tell Dutch, you. Let me tell you what they're going to give up in return. Okay, the Dallas Mavericks could flip the contracts of Tim Hardaway Jr. and Davis Bertans and Maxi Kleber. And have future draft picks to get James. That's how they would do it. I don't know what flipping a contract means, but that's what Sports Illustrated says they could do. 
Well, you'd ha I mean, the contracts have to be, I think it was within 10% of LeBron. I'm not sure if he's making $40 million or 45 It's somewhere he's around there. He's making $46.9 million. Okay. So those, I don't know, those, well, I guess with the draft picks, it might equal close to that. With those three players, I doubt if that would add it up. But uh, and then you're, you give me, but see, even if you're Dallas, do you really want that? Because let's let's say let's say somehow it's able to happen. If you're Mark Cuban, is Luka Doncic and LeBron James A going to work? And remember, you're giving up all that. LeBron James, you, you wouldn't think is going to be around two, three, well, three years from now as an NBA player. Right. I mean, he's kind of almost hinted at it a little bit. But, and again, he was still really, really good this year, but he was also he's getting a little injured more than he did in his prime. And, again, great numbers, but it's a big investment you're paying. You know, I, I think the same thing in a way for Durant and Phoenix. Durant's maybe not as old as LeBron, but he's close. But you're getting a guy near the end of his prime, and you're going to give up so much in return. I don't think Dallas would do that or should do that at that kind of cost you'd have to give. How can – Luka Doncic, how can his game survive in a big three atmosphere? You'd have to share the basketball a little bit more. And I think he did with Kyrie. When I looked at the numbers, I mean, Kyrie got a good amount of shots where Luka never, you know, gave up that many for anybody. So I don't, Porzingis wasn't shooting as much as Kyrie. And again, he was only there right. a couple of months. But you'd have to be, you have to sacrifice. You'd have to sacrifice and you'd have to be better defensively. Okay, but Luka Doncic sacrificing makes you less of a team right so it would have they're to work. better yeah, yeah. when luca just handles the ball 100 percent of the time but as far yeah you're right but that has gotten them only so far and if you want to go to a finals again this roster is not go even with Kyrie for a full year you're probably not going to the nba finals with that team you get another piece and lebron is obviously a big piece or another guy to make it kind of a big three i don't know who that player would be um, but maybe you could get to the next step. You can win more than one playoff series or two. Uh, but, again, the West is still fairly stacked. There's a lot of parity. There's good teams that don't make the playoffs, and New Orleans, well, New Orleans made the play-in if they're healthy. Portland should be a little bit better. you got to get another player if you're Mark Cuban. You can't. If you're going to have status quo, you're not going to the Western Conference Final. That team isn't good enough to do that. Well, they were last year, and they got a little fortunate with Phoenix falling apart with some COVID cases. I don't think that's going to happen again, though. Right. I mean, they need they need maybe maybe better better role players, more depth. You know, Dallas doesn't strike me as a team that has a lot of depth. No. Yeah. They they, they don't. They don't. I mean, you, you rely on Luca. You had Porzingis now, and you have Hardaway to a certain extent, and now you got Kyrie, of course. But yeah, their bench isn't really contributing too much there. So they, they they would have to make some changes. I don't. I mean, I don't know how much salary cap space they would have, but there are some decent free agents. I mean, the first thing I guess is Kyrie Irving. They've already said unofficially, I guess, they're not going to do a sign and trade with Kyrie. So let's say Kyrie said, "I want to go to the Lakers," or "I want to go to Minnesota," "I want to go to Phoenix." Well, they would have to do a sign and trade because those teams, at least Phoenix and the Lakers, can't afford to sign him as a free agent for forty million. So you do a sign and trade, but Dallas said we're not doing that. Even though they would get a player back in return, they're not going to help Kyrie Irving, they've said. So I don't blame them. Yeah. You gave you know up a I lot for him. You know what I think the Dallas Mavericks could use? They could use somebody like a Duncan Robinson. They could use a sharpshooter. And they could use – I mean, but, you know, I think Luka is uh, a pretty good three-point shooter. I mean, he's good at everything. Um, they need a big man. They need a really good big man. That's what they need. I think, you know, I mean, you're not going to have a Nikola Jokic out there, but can you imagine 
if something happened where Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic played on the same team, wow, that would be that would be killer. That'd be scary. That would be scary. I'm looking at the free agents. But those guys fit, right? I mean, a big man is something that they don't have that would really fit the team. Loading up on guards, to me, is not going to bring you a championship. I don't care how good the, the other guard is. Yeah, and it depends who the other players are specifically, I guess. But Kyrie Irving, again, maybe with what a full What do you mean? Well, no, no, the position. It dep- I don't think it matters who the other guard is. Uh, and Luka Doncic, they're not going to win a championship. That's what I'm saying. Okay, but the, I and I agree with the odds maker that Vegas said that Dallas was more. The odds increased for them to win it when they got Kyrie Irving. Now they increased a lot more for Phoenix after their trade for Durant. Doesn't even mean they're going to win it, but they were a better team with Kyrie Irving. That was a, I mean, a good move for them. Chemistry, right. it's hard to develop when you don't practice much in the middle of the season. Right. So, but, maybe, and, but but right now, yeah, and 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 that gets it. But right now, in the in the West, the Western Conference. You're not going to win a championship with Luka Doncic and uh, Kyrie Irving. It's not going to happen. No, it, it won't That's my happen. statement. Right. And some of the bigs that are available, I mean, Christoph Porzingis, who they're not going to get. Uh, Harrison Barnes, who actually played for Dallas after leaving Golden State in their first championship, he's a free agent. He's unrestricted. And he's a really good player. He's, he's only like 31 years old. Yeah, 31 years old. Uh, and he's been in Dallas. He might be a guy. Jeremy Grant, who's now at Portland. He's unrestricted free agent. Uh, those guys are considered fours. Those guys are available. Not a lot of great free agents. Brooke Lopez is going to be interesting. Now, he's a center, but he's a free agent. He's actually turned into a really good three-point shooter. Kyle Kuzma, right. he has a player option with Washington. That would be a good addition for Dow because he's a guy who, when he played with the Lakers, he didn't have to score a lot. When he goes to Washington, he showed, hey, I can score 20 a game on any given night, but he could also be that third wheel, so to speak, with Luka and maybe a Kyrie Irving. I think he'd be a good fit. The, the Kuz, Kyle Kuzma? Yeah, he's a, he's a, he has a player option. He could opt out for Washington. He should opt out and get get him back in L.A. That's where they need him. There was talk that they might have traded for him at the trade deadline. That that was a mistake to get. Oh, obviously it was a mistake. They got Russell Westbrook for him. <laughs> Enough said well, right got, there. A, a lot of that. I mean, they they come to their senses. They got uh, D'Angelo Russell back. You know, and, and they've got, they got to get some of these guys back again. That's what the yeah. Lakers need. Is you need a Kyle Kuzma, and, and maybe maybe uh, I'm trying to think of somebody else, some other kind of role. Brandon players. Ingram would be great Josh Hart. Yeah, Josh Hart's a free agent. He loves New York, but he wants money. And the Knicks might not have a lot. I think I forget how much they can offer him, but it might not be as much as he can get. And uh, he's got a player option, so he's going to opt out. And then he can try to get more. Either the Knicks can somehow work it out. Otherwise, he proved himself. He was actually really good. He's still relatively young at only 28. Mm-hmm. So, there, And that's only a little old, less than a month away before free agency starts. So, I mean, July 1st is the day. And there, there are some decent names out there. At Spotify, they list Russell Westbrook as the highest paid free agent. Uh, he is not going to get $46 million with his new team. I think we can all agree on that. Maybe yeah. for five years combined, but not not in one year. That's not yeah. happening to Russell Westbrook anymore. Yeah. All right. 808-296-1420. You can call or text in the show. Uh, we'll have another traffic update coming up momentarily. Weather today, it's going to be sunny. We got some light, uh, you know, some light trade winds going on today. Uh, pretty much going to be hot and summery all week long. Now, um, I see here in the NFL that they have not announced this year's Hard Knocks team yet. 
Last wow. year they announced it was the Detroit Lions. They announced it in March. That's late for them to not announce it. Yeah. It's very late, and that's why it's news at profootballtalk.com. Um, they haven't announced it yet. Um, there's four teams that are, are uh, four teams that are eligible to be in it. They qualify. And what what does it take to qualify? How do they pick how do they narrow down the teams to be on hard knocks? There's a certain amount of things. You can't be a you can't have a, a team with a first year head coach number 1. That's the first uh, criteria, I believe. And if you've been on it before, then you kind of get I think that they're looking for new teams more than repeat teams. Uh, I don't know how it's specified, but it's definitely with a new coach. That is one thing. And if you've been on before, you can kind of get out unless it's like Detroit Lions. That was their first time on it. Um, I'll, I'll, there's something else in there, but I think the biggest thing was the rookie head coach. They're not going to try to have you with all the other things you've got to deal with that have to be on hard knocks here. When I think they should yeah, just there's got to be only four teams. Only four teams qualify. So there's a longer list than uh, first-year head coach. There's a number of them, but that's not the point. The point is the teams are. The Bears, the Saints, the Jets, and the Commanders. Now, the Bears have come out and said, we don't want to be on it. Now, what if they all say, we don't want to be on it? The NFL is just going to pick somebody, and you got to be on it, right? Yeah, there was a couple of years ago. Was it Cleveland or somebody else that didn't really want to be on it, but they were chosen, which I don't think is necessarily fair? Rotate it. What? Like, almost like the NFL draft. Or if you get right. the draft, you got to be on hard knocks. If your city gets the draft, that's part of the sacrifice. Or just rotate it to all 32 teams. I'd like to see Bill Belichick on it. Well, I'm not sure what we get, but it would be better than what we get now, which is almost nothing. But I think every team should be on it. Yeah, I have no interest in watching the, the Patriots. I'd like to see, you know, uh, I think the Jets would be interesting just because it's all about Aaron Rodgers, right? Yeah, that I would mean, be a good I mean, unfortunately, if this whole Aaron Rodgers thing doesn't work out and all of a sudden he's shows his age, then, uh, you know, that's going to be the, the – <laughs> that's going to be the sorriest thing in free agent history of the, all this hype with Aaron Rodgers leading into this. Now, last year they had hard knocks in season as well. Yeah. So you would have your hard knocks, and then you would have hard knocks in season this year, I would think, right? Yeah, that was the second year they did. It was Arizona, I believe, this year. The year before was Indianapolis, a lot under DeForest Buckner then. But that's kind of cool as well. I mean, I, I love hard knocks. You just the, the, the stuff you get that you wouldn't get normally is great. Uh, I haven't heard a team, obviously, for in-season one as well, but it's just so well done, and I, I'm glad they have it. But, you know, again, even a, you know, a guy like Belichick, I think, would just be interesting. But, you know, for the Jets, you, you mentioned that Aaron Rodgers possibility. I'm already thinking that's happening <laughs> just because See, of the, but- the history of teams that I like. And New York teams getting aging all-stars doesn't work out, has it? Right. Now, as far as the show goes, so the Bears are like, we don't want to be on it. Um, and the Jets, they say, most likely are probably not interested. So that leaves you with the New Orleans Saints and the Washington Commanders. Okay. I like the Commanders just because I think that Ron Rivera is an interesting guy. And they're kind of at a crossroads with new people, new management, new outlook on the season new ownership, and all of that. I think the Washington, I mean, although the focus is on training camp, I think that that might be kind of interesting. I think it could be, but I would think if you're the NFL slash HBO and you're looking for ratings, 
more interest. I think it can't get any more interesting than Aaron Rodgers compared to the other teams. I mean, right, that, but if the Jets don't want to do it, they can't make them do it. But if, again, if that's all what four I'm saying, teams that's say what, that's no. What, that's what the article is saying, is they're saying the Jets probably aren't going to want to do it, so it leaves you the Saints and the Commanders. But if they all say they don't want to do it, I'm not sure what they would do either. I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure either, but they're saying you can pretty much count the Jets out. Yeah, I don't know. What, I don't think you can entice them by giving them money for something like that. But uh, they, I think that was that's, in no. a perfect world. That's usually, what they want. Usually, the teams are owned by uh, billionaires. It's <laughs> another reason. <laughs> we'll give you a hundred thousand we'll dollars. <laughs> we'll give you a million dollars to be on a whole cool mill. Come but, on. Well, but one thing you said again, it, it starts. They start filming usually. Let's say August first. You know, the first week of training camp, that's, that's right. less than eight weeks away already. That's really soon to not have a, a team selected. by Every year, I believe, has been chosen way before that. Right. So the um, whatever team it's going to be, you know, if nobody wants to do it, and I would think that, okay, you know what? You get a, compensa- a compensatory pick. Hey, you want you do the show? If nobody wants to do it, whoever, hey, who wants to do it? We'll give you a third-round draft choice. We'll give you a third and a sixth if you do the show. Wow. I'm sure a lot more people would do it, right? Yeah, definitely. And then if everybody wants to do it, then you put it in rotation. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just fair to have – I mean, you, it's great to get a glimpse of what different cities do. For example, you and I talked last year about Detroit. We both became more of Dan Campbell fans slash Detroit fans just because of hard knocks. No, and not I felt, just you and I. It's like that around yeah. the country. Well, they, I mean, they've, yeah. they've had, they've had – uh, They've kind of documented whoever is the team. They became everybody's second favorite team yeah, if you yeah. weren't already a fan, right? So they yeah. became – because you get to know the people be under the helmet, right? You get to know these guys. Now, if the NBA did this, you would probably get to hate some of the players more because of the culture in the NBA and the me, me, me attitude that the big stars have in the NBA. But, but- the NFL – you grow to love Dan Campbell, and you see him crying at certain times and, and things like that. You see him being emotional, and you can't help but love a guy and root for a guy like Dan Campbell. Yeah, I think – but I also think, let's say the NBA did do something, and Major League Baseball did it. I became a San Francisco Giants fan way more because of the franchise on Showtime about their World Series here, you know, 10 years ago or so. But they're going to present what they want to present. So if you, even if you're going to do an NBA team, let's say they pick Memphis – they probably wouldn't mention John Morant and the guns too often. So I think they make it as favorable or as positive as they possibly can. But you know what's interesting about this? I just saw if Jamie That would be I- pretty weak, though. That would be pretty weak. Yeah, that's You've true. You've got the story of the end. You wouldn't talk about you wouldn't talk about guns. You know that the player is going to be talking about it. You want to get that on camera. Well, that's and that's an extreme. But I, I, my point is I think they're just trying to make it however they want to present it on certain players and leave other players out. But Jamie Eisenberg was on with us first hour of the show from CBS Sports. He lives in Florida, and he tweeted something the other day that Netflix, coming out on August 23rd, has a new sports documentary called Swamp Kings. And it's a documentary about the Florida football team from 06 to 09. So those are Tim Tebow years, Urban Meyer years. And I don't know what it's about. And, it, again, it you know, goes back to those years. But I think I, I love these sports reality shows. So I'm looking forward to that one, August 23rd. All right, good. Okay, uh, we'll check your traffic in a second. Hey, remember now, when you mention ESPN Honolulu, you can get the 750 special at the Pagoda Restaurant. That's right. They're now located in the International Ballroom. Uh, you can have Portuguese sausage, eggs, and rice or toast, uh, pancakes, sweet bread, French toast, waffles, 
uh, different kinds of omelets. Uh, great breakfasts await you. A great way to start your day at the Pagoda and for just $7.50. Uh, they're open Monday through Friday from 7 to 11 and weekdays till noon. Check out the details and menu at PagodaHawaii.com. Good morning. Hope you're having a great Monday. Hope this week is going to be an excellent one for you. Uh, Tanner Hayworth back at the Paxa Studios downtown. You've got some kind of breaking news. What's going on here? So this is all according to the CU or University of Colorado Board of Regents. They have just uh, scheduled a special board meeting, an executive session only on June 6th. Uh, first of all, when you read the agenda, it says June 6th, Wednesday, which is <laughs> not not entirely correct. But in the Maybe it's or, in 2024 or something. Or even partially <laughs> correct. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be right because, like, you know, when I was in Japan, I couldn't get the dates right. So maybe there's someone just in, in, in flux there. But when you look uh, at the agenda meeting, the discussions are legal advice on a specific matter, athletics matter, at CU Boulder, as well as a personnel matter at CU System, a personnel discussion. So there's been, like you guys were talking about all day today. But this is the Board of Regents? Yes, this is the Board of Regents for CU. Okay, okay so they're going to talk about something with athletics, and this is like an emergency kind of meeting? An executive meeting. Okay, so an executive meeting. So this might be the kind of their agenda, like uh, our Board of Regents have to put out. But something about personnel and something about athletics. Legal what advice that be? on Legal athletics. advice. Because there's been the rumors that Gary's been talking about this morning when you're talking about the Big 12 trying to expand. There's been a lot of rumors this weekend, and honestly, for the last couple of months since Deion Sanders has been back at Colorado, that Colorado might be looking to go back to the Big 12. <laughs> there's more money, well, it makes th- sense. Yeah, but they've already expanding by four teams. How many teams are going to have in the Big 12? I mean, with that expansion, they could finally get back to 12 teams in that conference. Oh, wait, who did they lose again? Well, they're going to lose Texas and Oklahoma next year. Just those two, right? Right, and then they add four schools, so then they're officially back to 12, I believe, as as soon as um, Oklahoma and Texas leave. Who knows? Maybe I know they're going uh, to be having a big brand like Redux. I think Brett Yormack uh, announced that last week, so... Who knows at this point what the Big 12 will look like, in, not even in the coming years, but in the coming weeks at this point. Wow. Okay, so the Big 12 still adding, you know, they're still adding on, which means they're going to take from the Pac-12, what we're right. hearing, right? Right. So now the Pac-12 is totally different. Mark my words, I'm telling you, the Pac-12 one day is going to look like the WAC, which became the Mountain West, which will now be the Pac-12. Hopefully, Hawaii's in the conversation. How does the Power Five conference fall that quick? Not so much that quickly fall at all to that level, but I agree with you. It was like there are a lot of schools are wanting to leave. When you lose USC and UCLA, that's incredible. You heard of Oregon maybe looking at it, Washington for the Big Ten, and again, Colorado and maybe Arizona, according to Greg Swain, we'll have them on tomorrow, maybe wanting to go to the Big 12 as well. I mean, it's just the Pac-12 
needs help, but just again with a new commissioner working on a new TV contract, but still it's not enough to keep schools wanting to be there. That's incredible okay, that so many schools want out. Okay, now I can't remember. USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten. Yes. Wow. I, I see that's where it is right now. You got your two marquee programs right there, and yep. the second in the second largest city in the country. When they bolt, you see how weak the Pac-12 was? We talk about basketball teams and you have no depth. The Pac-12 has no depth. That's the problem. So now when you talk, when you look at the strength, your starters on your starting five are Oregon and Washington. And what else? Colorado's been bad. Oregon State has been bad. Um, You're talking Colorado, football, of course, right? I'm, yeah, I'm talking about, yeah, that's the main okay. thing we're talking about. So, I mean, you've got a bunch of just bad teams in the Pac-12 left. But you're, you're still got some big markets like the Bay Area. I agree. I mean, the football quality has gone down. and But you you got some markets, and maybe with the time slots aren't as attractive to people back east. You, they don't want to see those night games, or they're not watching the night games there. But the TV money is so le- so much less than any of the other Power Five conferences. And if they're not going to get a contract similar, every, of course teams are going to, schools are going to want to leave. It makes sense. And USC, UCLA, like you said, kind of the, the trade, the standards there. Big market, you know, a history tradition with USC, especially in football. Uh, and if you lose a school like an Oregon slash Washington or Arizona, as well as Colorado oh. now has never been more popular, at least in the last 20 years. And, right. you, and if you do lose them. Right. right, but Colorado hasn't been more popular. What if what if Deion Sanders isn't all that he's made up to be? Because in, in according to my book, he's not gone out there and, and got he's got his son and the other kid. Uh, that just joined up last week from Jackson State, right? Well, they got Travis I mean, he's got Parker, a, I believe. From he's got a couple of really good players, but it's like, you know, how are they going to do? How is Deion Sanders and his staff going to do at the at the Pac-12 level, at the D1, at the FBS level? We don't know. I mean, if he comes out and falls on his face, then you know, first of all, he'll blame everybody else. It won't be his fault. But if he comes out and they fall on their face then, you know, people in Colorado are going to just want to give up on football altogether. Let's be a gymnastics school or something. <laughs> for crying out, you know, something. Not putting down gymnastics at all, but what right, I'm getting right. at is that this is their last chance. This was their biggest hope. But uh, at the same time, who knows? Now, the Mountain West Conference has been down the last couple of years. You think that it's a sure thing that the Pac-12 – is going to reach out to the Mountain West Conference? Or do they go somewhere else? Or do they try and have this huge footprint and go after the AAC uh, teams? Or, I don't know, maybe a Sunbelt team, Conference USA. I mean, we're de- you know, San Diego State, Fresno State, it makes sense. But is part of the problem what you said with these guys, oh, the people on the East Coast can't see them. Well, how do you change that? Invite some teams from the East Coast. Or they started to play earlier game. There was one game, I think, last year or the year before that started like at noon or 9 a.m. East uh, West Coast time, Pacific time, just for the TV rating. And the fans hated it. If you're going to tailgate, you don't want to be tailgating. Well, most of the fans there, I forget what school it was, but you'd have to start your tailgating like 6, 7 a.m. So that, you know, that 
supposedly didn't work. But this was a conference where schools are looking to leave more than they're looking to join. Where the Big 12, SEC, Big 10, people are looking to join those conferences. Who? Not the Pac-12. Well, the Pac-12, we oh, just no. talked about them. No, Big there's Ten. teams There's teams that want to join the Pac-12. There's a lot of teams Not power that want to join schools. the Pac-12. But, they're yeah, they're, they're a group of five schools. Hawaii would love to join the Pac-12. I think Fresno State State and San Diego State would make sense, and they would would love to go to the Pac-12 right now. Just because the Mountain West uh, uh, TV deal is, well, kind of embarrassing. They get a lot more money. I I thought I saw $44 million for the Pac-12 schools was distributed, which seems like a lot, but other conferences are making 50 to 60 at least and probably going to increase. But I think you also want to – if you want to get bigger TV money, you probably got to play in bigger markets. Losing L.A. hurts the Pac-12 TV contract. Oh, sure. You lose that. San Diego, I know, is not L.A., but maybe it's close enough where they don't lose as much. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, uh, but it, they're, they're in a really tough situation there. It's, again, I'm surprised at a Power 5 conference. It's one thing to lose schools, and we've seen that for 30-something years now, but to lose almost your whole conference, it looks like it's falling apart, almost like the WAC was, but the WAC is a group of five. Right, and, a, why, and, a, and why is that? And we'll go to this before we go to break. It's because you didn't have depth. Arizona and Arizona State, you guys contributed nothing to the Pac-12. And now look what's happening, right? Uh, by the way, uh, before we go uh, uh, listen to our traffic here, the 2024 Hall of Fame ballots are going out uh, for in, for the College Football Hall of Fame. And they've got like 65. Oh, I mean, yes, they've got tons of guys. How many guys are on this? They're gonna, you're going to have to vote for 12 guys. And the list goes, there's 78 players. On uh, this list, uh, you got to pick 12 from them. The only one from Hawaii I'm looking at here is, uh, and I and I, you know, I'm just glancing over this while we're talking here. Uh, the, it just came out a little while ago. Olin Krutz played uh, center for Washington from '95 to '97. Speaking of the Pac-12, but uh, good luck, Olin Krutz. Maybe he gets on that ballot. Cole Brennan should be on that. Oh sure, no discussion, no debate. Uh, to be, he should be, probably be in, but at least should be on the ballot. How no. could he not? See, Ryan Leaf is on the ballot, as he should be. Now, this is the college football right, right. Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, that's there's something wrong if Colt Brennan's not on there. And yeah. That's not a bias or anything. Those numbers stand for stand out for themselves for those two years, especially. Yeah. Oh, look, uh, uh, Ron Rivera's on here. He, he was a linebacker at Cal. Alex Smith is on there. He should be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Pro- yeah, probably so. All right. Uh, okay, it's 835 here with the animals. Be right back on ESPN Honolulu. Hope you're having a great day. It's going to be hot today. Oh, good day to cut out of work and head on over to Sandy's Bra. It's the Sports Animals here. Thank you for listening. The uh, University of Hawaii men's volleyball team has made official 
Uh, their signees uh, coming up, and they are a guy named uh, – a lot of these – I'm guessing we heard a lot about these already, right? But it's official now. And uh, Kevin Cowling, uh, he's a safety, 6'8 safety. It's a tall safety. What does S stand for? Setter. I thought it was a safety. <laughs> I joke. Anyway, Kevin Cowling is uh, uh, a 6'8 center. Isn't that kind of kind of tall? Yeah. He's a graduate senior uh, coming to us from Lewis. That was the latest guy we just heard about recently, right? Yes, yes last week, I believe. Uh, Alexa Mandic is an outside hitter slash opposite. 6'5 freshman from Serbia. Uh, he's a smart guy. He's from the Belgrade School of Medicine. It's like, oh, I'm injured. That's okay. I'll fix myself. Get off of me, doc. Okay, now we got another guy from um, uh, Turkey uh, via Jamestown or something. Okay. Oguzan Oguz. And you know it's not going to be pronounced that way. <laughs> that sounds good, though. That's where it reads. Oguz Oguz. Oguzan Oguz. It's like Alan Allen, right? Remember Alan yeah, Allen? Remember. Now we All got right. a Oguz Oguz. Well, welcome. <laughs> He's 6'8", sophomore. Uh, Kai Rodriguez from Moanalua High School via California. 6'4", freshman. Ryan Sears from Redondo Beach. He's a 5'11", Liberace freshman coming in. Uh, Zachary Thompson. Uh, from Iaea, he's a middle blocker and an opposite. Six four middle blocker uh, came back from UC Santa Cruz, so he's back here in Hawaii. Welcome back, Zach. And I meant that to rhyme, by the way. <laughs> Justin Todd is an outside hitter uh, from Wanalua High School via Houston, Texas. Six eight freshman, and Zach Uchuk, six seven freshman. From Canada via Moanalua High School. I didn't know all of those Moanalua kids were from California, Texas, and Canada. I figured they just were on Moanalua. They're all from Hawaii. I don't know why. I, I, I guess I didn't give it much thought. Yeah, we had talked about that a couple of times during the season, how they all worked it out together and uh, decided to come here for a year before playing at UH, and Charlie thought that was a great deal. And one thing, though, that's eight players coming in. I know they didn't lose eight players from last year. I know that Brett Sheward she, uh, entered the transfer portal, and they lose, obviously, some guys that are graduated. Demetrius left early, and, of course, Jakob Tell and a couple of others. But I didn't realize they had eight openings for scholarships. Maybe they're not all scholarships. Well, yeah. I mean, what do they have, nine scholarships to split between 20 guys or something? Right, right, right. Well, do you know they had that many roster spots available? So maybe with their walk-on, that doesn't count on their their allotment for the roster. But that's uh, they got size there, if nothing else. Look at all. The, I mean, they make a great basketball team. You have only one of those players under six four. One of the eight under six four. Everybody else is six four to six eight. Yeah, but six four is not considered super tall. Uh, in um, you know, unless you can jump like Chaz Galloway, right? Yeah, it's not. I mean, look at UCLA. UCLA probably doesn't have anybody that's 6'4 on their entire team. I don't know about maybe, but, I mean, the other guys, you have three 6'8 guys, and they're a 6'7. So, that's, I mean, it starts at kind of at 6'4, but you got some other guys that are pretty big there. And only one of them. I wonder two, if those guys, what? So only two of them are grads transferred. The others are all freshmen or sophomores. 
Well, are you surprised? No, I'm just not saying that. They got they have a lot of time here, so it's not going to be coming in for a year or so, a year or two. Right, but the, I'm actually surprised that there are as many as two grad transfers. I think I know why, because I remember Charlie talking about that during the year. He, he wanted, not that he wanted to stay away from grad transfers, but he'd rather develop people on his own and having people who, for whatever reason, are transferring late in their career. And you'd rather have guys that he can keep for three or four years and develop them his way. Sort now, of. that's what he said, or that's what he said initially. But he changed his tune and said, hey, you know what? I'll go out. You know what? Some of these guys, you know, if there's a guy that can start right away on Hawaii, he'll he'll take them. So I don't know if that means these guys are going to start right away. Uh, but maybe Charlie will come on the radio tomorrow if he's not recruiting or he's on uh, vacation or something. Okay. We'll definitely reach out to him and see if we can get him on. Mm. But, uh, again, eight players, that's a, that's a lot. Again, they got size, and I'm not sure if they're done yet, but nice to see those side, those guys there. And I, I would imagine also with the success this team has had for the last three or four years, recruiting gets a little easier, if not a lot easier, just because players probably want to play for Hawaii. It's Hawaii. you got a great coaching staff, and look at the team's success over the years, and you have roster spots opening up. So it's probably a pretty attractive place for players to want to play now. I think it, it always has been, especially with the international play. Well, you know what? It isn't. I mean, he's still struggling with getting the top players in America to play for the University of Hawaii. Is something that he's documented earlier. So he has to jump on a plane, and they got to fly to places like Serbia and Turkey and all of these places to find these guys. They're getting really good players, and they're certainly really uh, coached up well. But the point is that the top players are still going to UCLA or Long Beach or some of these players, the top players from this country. Now, when that happens, if that can you can get that to happen, for those guys to come play in Hawaii, then you really got something. And you have a lot less of a uh, recruiting bill <laughs> for, <laughs> for Craig Angeles, if you're listening. <laughs> there you go. Help Charlie with recruiting. Get those uh, fuel costs down. Get those ticket uh, airline ticket prices uh, in the check. But anyway, well, welcome everybody uh, uh, that we mentioned to the University of Hawaii officially. And welcome back home, Zachary Thompson from the 96701. It's 846 with the Sports Animals, and I'm glad you're listening because we can tell you about Sandwich Fest going on right now where you can put some south in your mouth at Dixie Grill's Sandwich Fest. They've got pulled pork burgers. Southwest chicken sandwich is pretty good. Catfish, grilled pulled pork sandwich on Texas toast and more. It's this month only Sandwich Fest at Dixie Grill Barbecue and Crab Shack. Wanted to bring a Major League Baseball for a few minutes. We went over early. I'll just give a quick update on the Hawaii players from uh, last night or yesterday in the Major League. Colton Wong did go one for four with a walk for Seattle. Batting average at 159. Josh Rojas, two for three with an RBI and a walk. 241 is now his average with Arizona. Isaiah Kainafalefa, one for three. Is batting average now at 222 for the New York Yankees. The All-Star ballots are up and running if anybody does want to vote on the All-Star game. And I guess you're allowed something like 20 times to vote, which I think is crazy. (laughs) 
But, you know, everybody's pitched one-third of the season now. So, we're, you know, we're not beginning the season. You can't say it's early right now. And there are some surprises in Major League Baseball. I, I saw a Baltimore Orioles fan the other day who was claiming Tampa Bay is going to start struggling soon. But I don't know why they would think that. And we haven't seen any signs of that. They're still 42-19. and 19. Uh, The Orioles, though, are a nice surprise. They had a good run last year getting back to respectability. Uh, And this year, even right now, well, they don't have the second-best record in baseball. They have the third-best record in baseball. Still pretty good accomplishment for them. I don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs, though. When I look at that AL East, Tampa Bay, I would pencil in as a playoff team. The Yankees, how can you ever count them out? They just get Giancarlo Stanton back, Josh Donald. Josh Donaldson is back. He had a couple of homers the other day against the Dodgers. Aaron Judge, who did get hurt crashing into a wall in Dodger Stadium on Saturday, he's got, I think, 20 home runs, and he's missed like three weeks or two and a half weeks. The Yankees, I think, will be fine. They get so much, not so much criticism, but they get so much negativity because they're expected to be like Tampa and basically win every game. And maybe they've started off slow, but they're always going to be there in the end. But the surprise of the American League, but 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 you, okay. Before let me jump into your list here. So you you're you're saying you're not sure that the uh, by the way the team with the second best record is the Texas Rangers. They've been hot lately. But so that you're saying that you don't think that the Baltimore Orioles will get to the playoffs. I wouldn't necessarily include them right now because I think again they're good and they're improved and they've got a lot of going for them. But I think the Yankees will continue to get better. I think they'll surpass Baltimore. Okay, but if you bring that up you, and you say because John Carlos Stanton is back, I mean, when does that guy ever last a couple of weeks without getting injured? Does it, does, I mean, doesn't mean he's going to get injured again this year. He's already been injured. Doesn't mean he's going to continue. But it's he's just still, been like that for the past how many years? That's still, what I'm saying. Still gonna, let's he, say he plays 100 he games. Have, he doesn't have a track record of staying healthy. But anyway. But he's still a great hitter. It's not just because of him. You've got other guys that are talented on that team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they've actually underachieved the first mm-hmm. month or two of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're better than what they've shown. And I'm not going to use injuries as much because everybody's got injuries. They're just they're just too talented. I mean, again, they're having a good year, 11 games over, 590 winning percentage is good. Uh, they would be in the playoffs if the season ended today. But I think Baltimore again, they're they're not the third best team in baseball. I don't know how anybody could say that, but their record shows that they are right now. Well, but did still, they did they play the American League Central? I mean, how did they? You know, you're like, yeah, hey, Yankees. That's pretty good at 590. Well, according to my math. 627 is what the Baltimore Orioles have, and that's better than the Yankees. By two games. Right, that's but why nothing. are the Yankees, but why are they, why is it so for sure that the Baltimore Orioles, I'm not arguing, I'm trying yeah. to understand your thought process here, is why are the Orioles not just as good or better than the Yankees? You look at the rosters on paper, and that'll tell you right there. Oh, okay. You know, well, and- if you did that, the Miami Heat wouldn't be in the finals either, right? Maybe, probably, maybe not. But I mean, Miami—that's apples and oranges, real. I'm just talking about the Yankees and the Orioles. I'm just saying, looking at teams on paper doesn't it, it doesn't translate in sports. Well, it, it's more than that. But I'm just, that's you're asking me why I think the Yankees will, okay. will get better and be better okay. than the Orioles. They're only okay. two games in back, and their roster is just better than that. They've had a couple of injuries, but again, that's part of the deal. I don't know if they've had more. I don't even know who they play. They probably have had pretty much of a similar schedule. Well, they just the won division. two out of three. They just won two out of three against uh they just won two out of three against tampa bay that's pretty good it is but doesn't mean it's really i mean i think the yankees won two out of three against the dodgers if i'm not mistaken 
Oh, I'm uh, sorry. They just played. Sorry. They most recently won two out of three from the Giants. But they did win two out of three against the Yankees. Yeah. So on paper, that makes them better in my mind. They beat Tampa Bay, the number one team, uh, two out of three this year. So they played some pretty good teams. But the Yankees and won. Again, probably a similar schedule. They played the Giants. They opened up the season with them. Uh, they played Tampa. I'm just saying right, right. now. Again, but head-to-head, head-to-head, the Orioles are a better team. But, again, after 60 games, mm. there's 100 games left. I'm I don't just think, saying head-to-head. That's all. Well, but I know that the numbers show that. But I don't, I don't think it's going to last. I, I think mm. a team like, look at the AL West. You've got Texas, who is, looks legit, and they had a lot of great offensive players added last year, Simeon Seeger. Now you've got a Jacob DeGrom, who is always hurt. They're playing, it's not just lately, they've been playing great since day one. The Astros, you know they're going to be in the mix. I'm not sure they're going to win another World Series, but they're probably a playoff team. I wouldn't count the Angels out, even though they've been struggling almost every uh, year. They, they have when do you count talent. the Angels in? Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, I still can't believe it with all that talent. <laughs> that's, yeah, okay, if you're going to go on paper, let's go off of the paper. Angels, postseason. Year after year after year, on paper, the paper said it's not going to happen. Yep. Well, the paper said it should happen. What's happening <laughs> on the field hasn't happened. I just, it's no, I'm, still... sorry, I'm sorry. History says it's not going to happen. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and, again, I, I like the Baltimore Orioles story. I think it's pretty cool, and I was hoping they'd make it last year. I mean, but Toronto is still a really good team. They just swept the Mets in New York with great pitching. Uh, so I wouldn't count them out. I don't know if Boston's going to be able to turn it around. It's a really good division. Check this out. All five teams in the AL East are over 500. No other division can say that. No other division can come close to saying that. No other division has four teams over 500, let alone five. That's a tough division. That's, you know, that's you know, kind of my point there, too. I, I, I'm surprised to see that the Arizona Diamondbacks are tied now for first place in the NL West with the Dodgers. And you know what? The Giants are five and a half back, but I don't know. Don't sleep on the Giants. It's still a long season. We'll see what happens. I agree about the Giants. I think they've got more talent. I mean, it's going to be hard to beat the Dodgers in the end. The Dodgers are better than what they've shown. They've gotten a little yeah. older. A couple of player moves. They lose Trey Turner and Justin Turner. Kershaw is a little older. But uh, the Giants, I think, have more talent than what they've shown. I think they'll be back in the race, at least for a wild card. The, the big question is, will the Oakland Athletics get 20 wins this year? That and more on the show tomorrow with the sports animals, ESPN Honolulu.